Ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the Crossing Streams podcast. Here we go. Oi, oi, streamers. Welcome to Crossing Streams Podcast Episode 9. Matt, technically this is our ninth episode, but really it's our 10th. Indeed. Uh, if you want to count the pilot, it is the 10th, <laughs> but we're going to call this officially Episode 9. Uh-huh. Hi, everybody. Episode 9 of Crossing Streams, a.k.a. The Man with the Golden Stream. <laughs> I was especially proud of that one. That is, of course, a reference to... The ninth James Bond movie, The Man with the Golden Gun, not one of the better ones, in my opinion. Uh, it is also a reference to P, so there's that. Matt, if we don't pick up the pace on the on the podcast, um, Fast and Furious is going to lap us, and then we'll have tons of names to use. <laughs> That's good, because we're, we are going to start running out of options pretty soon. Um, I'm good for next week, but yeah. after that, I'm going to have to start scrambling, so I actually need like... Daniel Wan and Justin Lin to start turning those out maybe two a year instead of one a year. Yeah. Um, my uh, my darker one was going to be episode nine, a.k.a. going to be a really awesome finale, but not quite as cool now that Carrie Fisher's not alive. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes, I think about these things. It's sad, man. It's sad. She was supposed to be yes. a huge part of the ninth one. We'll have to get through the eighth first. Um, yeah. Maybe Ray will turn out to be evil and Kylo Ren will be a, a Boy Scout. Um, so jumping in to today, man, uh, we have all sorts of stuff going on. This was a bizarre week. Some shows were off. Um, yep. <laughs> a lot of no shows. Supergirl this week. Yeah. A lot of shows weren't good. Even yep. The Expanse, which I've been really high on, was just sort of an eh episode. Very yep. confusing. 100. Hundred percent, and um, so we're gonna start the way we've been starting a bunch of our uh, podcasts, um, or actually our crossing stream podcast, which is to talk about movies or other things. And you got to see Logan, which I was very excited about. I was extremely nervous that I, I didn't care if if you loved it. I just didn't want you to not like it. And you texted me afterwards, and you were pretty pleased with it. So why don't you give the Bizzlecast listeners your reaction, because I've been raving about it for weeks. I did a whole podcast about it. Yeah, so I really, really, really liked Logan. I probably will put it in my top three of the X movies, maybe actually even in the top two. Mm. Um, It's in some order, Deadpool and Logan, probably both more than first class. Mm -hmm. I it's probably no surprise those are the two R-rated ones. Um, I would probably still put Deadpool ahead only because if I am going to watch something ultra-violent, I would rather it be ultra-violent and funny than ultra-violent and extremely bleak yep. and kind of depressing. And yep. I think Logan it was many things, but bleak and depressing is definitely part of it. Absolutely. I mean – all the characters that you like uh, – can I get into spoilers at this point? Yeah, guys. I mean this is going to be 100% spoiled, so go ahead. Yeah. Everybody you like dies, and the characters that live live on in this really 
ambiguous place of do they get away? Yeah. Do they get to safety? They could you literally really don't know. They could literally die two minutes after the cameras turn off. The way it's exactly yeah. And literally the last scene is a grave. Uh, yep. So really great movie. With the X. Not didn't necessarily put me in the greatest headspace walking out of it. Um, That's interesting. But I definitely recommend people go watch it. But I stand by every single observation I had going into this movie, which is that mm-hmm. this was an end story for this franchise. Yep. And no other character in any superhero franchise could work with this kind of movie. And I don't understand what possible next movie they could do that isn't the X-23 spinoff that's also in this future. Because anything with these young X-Men now, you will literally be watching a bunch of characters who you are going to find out in Logan are all dead. (laughs) Almost all of them, it's heavily implied, killed by Charles Xavier in a moment of psychic, like a psychic seizure, basically. And all the mutants are going to get wiped out. So the X-Men are going to fail at their mission or they're all going to die. And then they're going to posthumously fail their mission. Uh, So why you would want to watch these young ones do anything when it doesn't matter, I have no idea. And if they undercut this film by making it some alternate future they're trying to prevent, that's taking the teeth out of something that I really thought was emotionally very powerful. And I don't want to watch that either. Okay. Okay. All right. I I got a bunch of stuff here. So first of all, they've already reset the timeline twice. Once by just ignoring X3 and the second time with Days of Future Past. Um, Right. So the thing is, man, you might not like it, but you being a Flash fan, you have to appreciate the alternate universes. In X-Men, there's a ton of alternate universes. And it makes sense because a lot of them are time travelers, you know? And so I don't have a problem with it because I'm all about good storytelling. If you keep recycling the characters to recycle the characters, yes, that sucks. But if you give me a new story, I don't give a fuck. Bring back Jean Grey. I didn't want them to kill Famke Jensen. That sucked. I didn't want them to kill Patrick Stewart and they decided to unkill Patrick Stewart, you know? And and, and that was the right move. And so I don't have a problem with it i think if we follow the future it's going to be x-force we're not going to see the little kids as cute as they were and i think the little girl nailed it personally but uh, you know they're gonna oh she was my favorite part of the movie daphne keen holy shit she it just kicks so much ass yep i know it i know it i had a feeling about this whole movie but which i'm gonna get back to the the deadpool logan thing which i've thought a lot about since i saw this and and knew that you would have a similar thought but just in terms of these movies yeah i I have no problem with them doing parallel universes where we get the pg-13 young x-men movies right assuming they're good um and get some fresh blood in terms of the direction and the writing and then we get the rated r future movies my priority of course with all this avengers nonsense and the slow decline of marvel studios maybe which we'll talk a little bit about with iron fist coming up later in the podcast a little Mm -hmm. tease there but if you think about it man so they've in a single year they nailed it it rated r both deadpool and logan for completely different reasons now i agree that deadpool is going to be more rewatchable just because it's hilarious um i I was i think logan is a more original film and more complex oh yeah yeah and yeah and they don't even try and shove in a normal origin story or whatever because it's just not applicable um right 
and I'm going to get back to that in one sec. I, I will say I wasn't depressed because I knew it was going to be super dark and I expected both Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman to die. I was depressed. So did I. I was depressed. I'm sorry. I was sad. I wasn't depressed. Yeah. And I was giddy during most of the movie, finally getting to see Wolverine skewer people's skulls and have blood squirt everywhere. I was so giddy of amazing movie making by James Mangold and everyone else involved. Seeing Patrick Stewart lose his fucking mind was amazing. And I thought very funny. I, I don't know. Me and my dad were laughing early on with the Patrick Stewart stuff. It was nervous laughter and it was dark, but I, I think it, they were trying to be funny. And if you look in the, if you listen to the interviews, Hugh Jackman said that he, he found Patrick Stewart's performance very funny as well as affecting and sad and depressing and weird and, and all that stuff because Patrick Stewart is fucking Patrick Stewart, so he can pull it off. But man, if you think about it, these might be two one-trick ponies. <clears throat> As much as I want the rated R X-Men thing, or even though just in general the rated R superhero thing to be a reality going forward, if you look at it, Deadpool, you maybe can only pull once. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Do I think Guardians 2 will be funny and fun? Yes. But it's never going to have that same sense of childlike wonder the first time you saw Guardians 1 because you've never seen anything that self-referential before. You know, Deadpool takes the self-referentialness to a whole nother level. Right. I think Deadpool 2 will be very funny, but it won't have that same shock value that you get you get and logan is the culmination of 17 years and you know seven to nine movies of this guy depending on how you want to count it plus patrick stewart who's been in most of those movies right in some capacity or another so as you pointed out you know you just can't do this with almost any actor or character in, in any franchise and so it's possible that as promising as the rated r uh, x-men movie idea is that they've sort of you know smartly but inevitably kind of blown their wad with these two films do you think that that i could be wrong that that they could repeat this formula with lesser known characters or or different formulas or whatever well all right i mean i think i think the odds are that that guardians well i mean could they repeat the rated r thing i mean they could make any movie violent but no other character's power set or background lends itself to rated R the way Wolverine's naturally does. Even Cap, who is a soldier, I don't. Well, war about, movies. I don't think the need rated, to be R. rated R. I'm just talking about. Oh, well, I'm, just, I'm just talking about the Logan. I mean, I'm, I'm not, don't completely forget about the rated R. I'm just saying the, the effect of. I remember being 18 in camp, seeing. X-Men 2000 in the theater, right, right, right. summer camp, told the story a million times. You see yeah, Hugh yeah, Jackman yeah. three minutes into the movie. You're like, that's Wolverine. Never seen this guy before. And following his entire career, both in and out of the X universe since then, you know, you can't just build up 17 years of goodwill on any character with, you know, with, with, the, with the snap of the finger, right? Right. Which you, so, which you pointed out even before you saw the movie. So, uh, so that's one. And then Deadpool, again, there was a shock value. W- whether you liked comic book movies and you loved Deadpool because you, you knew, like, like we did, that comic book movies needed to start poking fun at themselves more. Or if you hated comic book movies and you went to Deadpool and you loved it because it was the comic book movie for non- non-comic book movie fans, right? So, I mean, right. How, how much can you repeat that formula? It's like Drax and Guardians of the Galaxy. Drax was hilarious in the first movie. I think he's going to get increasingly unfunny as it goes goes on because that's a one trick pony you know i don't think deadpool's one trick pony in terms of deadpool 2 not being good or guardian 2 not being good but you know i'm saying like they were paradigm shifts they were major changes with how uh, it, maybe not they were made but how superhero movies were being presented to the audience right. i don't know if, if you can keep doing that with the same characters or studios or whatever well i, I mean 
personally, I think Guardians 2 has a better chance of being really good than Deadpool 2 just because Deadpool 2 seems to be having some production problems. And even if they're sort of slowly working themselves out, and I like the people they're bringing in to take over the project, these kind of like little bits of unsteadiness in the foundation usually do still crop up in the finished product. And I think there's going to be a slightly disjointed quality to Deadpool 2 in the same way I would argue there was a fairly disjointed quality to the first and second half of Rogue One um, in a way that there wasn't in the first Deadpool movie. Um, So could they repeat this formula? I'm sorry. The first half of Rogue One... No, no, let's not talk Star Wars. Let's not talk Star Wars. Um, I know how you feel. You know, so could they do this again? Sure. But again, I don't think any character would work this way this obvious western you know style of filmmaking cap is the only character ish that i could see in sort of a western last stand kind of a movie but he just chris evans hasn't gotten the work in yet to be able to make this kind of movie he's been really good but five movies isn't enough yet um and maybe especially since we're now hearing pretty strong rumors he's going to leave after infinity war which is something i predicted a year ago by the way um not to toot my own horn except i'm tooting my own horn um that wasn't exactly a nostradamus prediction but i'll give it to you no but you disagreed with me but whatever if he leaves after infinity war we're never going to get that old cap one last stand kind of a movie and beyond him there is no other character that this could work with i mean maybe batman you know, maybe they could bring back Christian Bale to do a real Dark Knight Returns adaptation, not the the stripped down BS version that Zack Snyder tried to make. Yep. And he even said they asked him once, "Would you come back for that?" And he's like, "Well, yeah, but Batman's like sixty in that graphic novel, so when I'm sixty, come and get me, and maybe I'll do it." So mm-hmm. I, I think that was a tongue in cheek answer from Christian Bale. But the point is, he's maybe the only character superhero character in the movies who has gone through enough of an arc and a rise and a fall that you could tell an end story with him i disagree Um, i think cap's gone i think chris evans has gone way further than christian bale he's been in a bunch more movies including having an equal number of his own movies and the character is way more interesting for me personally no i mean cap has grown the most but i don't i would argue he hasn't started his fall yet and with logan we saw a character over nine movies or whatever rise and fall, you know, that he has already started to fall in a lot of ways in uh, the Wolverine, the, the first James Mangold movie. He's yes. in a pretty dark place when that movie begins. And there's even which wait, I'm sorry, really quickly. I will point out. I think that movie is a little bit more interesting now after seeing Logan. It, I, just I in terms of the so. telling the story of the character, there's obviously lots of flaws. And somebody pointed this out that the Japanese chick who predicts how uh, Wolverine dies, where he says, there's so much blood and you have your heart in your hands. She's obviously talking literally about the final scenes of that movie. But figuratively, when he dies, he is covered in Logan. He is covered in blood with a giant branch through his chest and X-23 is holding his hand. So figuratively, that prophecy actually winds up being fulfilled, which is another sign that Wolverine is the start of the descent for him that will we see the lowest point in Logan. And that's what made it hard for me to get giddy over because as cool as the action sequences were and they were amazing, there is this 
overlying sense of sadness of just this two broken down, beaten guys who are dying and know they're dying. And there's nothing. They just kind of want to go out on one last stand and that's it. They have no aspiration beyond dying with some measure of honor and dignity that they've kind of had stripped away from them. And this is again, Logan not only makes Wolverine more interesting, it makes Days of Future Past more interesting because those two went on a bizarre temporal journey together in Days of Future Past that no one else did. I mean, they were already connected, but by traveling through the past and him being connected to the different Charles Xavier's all at once. Right. And this goes back to my to my X-Men time traveling thing. It's like, yes, they're probably still in pain and they're sad to die and leave each other, but part of them must know that, you know, this could happen again in another universe. Like I don't know, it's weird. Like they're fatalistic in the movie, but they're not they're not um I don't know. I mean, the old man Logan comic, like he spends the entire f- first huge section of the graphic novel like not wanting to fight anyone like that's right. part of the story the movie they just ignore all that which, which is kind of how this begins yeah kind of it doesn't last very long <laughs> but, no but about two minutes but um yeah i don't know i just you know the x franchise as you've pointed out you know has never quite reached this potential in all of its years and i agree with that in some ways and I just was happy that they finally were able to do it with this movie. I don't know Agreed. why they needed an ultra-violent Wolverine movie to do it, but dude, that's the comic books. I mean, Wolverine is an ultra-violent rated R character in the comic books that's this tormented and this violent. Uh, and yeah. If anything, they made him more likable in this movie than I thought they were going to. You know, once and that's why you need the little girl, obviously. Patrick Stewart gets it going, and then the little girl you know, turns him. Um, to, to the point where he's sacrificing himself. Uh, I will mention really quickly, um, and then we can move on, or you can have any final thoughts about Logan. I'm really excited that you liked it. It's getting really good reception. My roommate, mm-hmm. who's a chick, who's awesome, but she would never see a comic book movie, you know, on like a third date with a guy she's seeing, went to go see Logan. Like, it was like a okay. date movie. I was like, whoa, this is like like Deadpool. Not as much, but it's, it is reaching people that wouldn't normally see these movies. I see it on Facebook. People who I I follow, you know, who, who would never track comic book stuff, who, who are enjoying the movie. Uh, w- w- that's all great. Um, but this was such a great send off. And uh, yeah, so the you know the Asian woman who played Yukio in the Wolverine because she was an Arrow. She yes. wasn't a particularly interesting character in Arrow, but she was awesome in the Wolverine movie. And yes. I, I know for a fact that they were planning on maybe bringing her back as his quote-unquote bodyguard uh, in the final movie until they decide to do a future jump forward and it didn't make sense. I also want to point out, they hinted that Xavier killed a lot of mutants, but he he's not the reason they're all dead. He he did lose control no, and kill a bunch. No, he's not the reason yeah. all the mutants are dead, but I think he's the reason all the other X-Men are dead. He killed I mean, a bunch of the X-Mansion, but they'd been hunted down and dying for various reasons. And again, True, and it, then the yeah. rest of the mutants were wiped out with the corn syrup stuff that and remember, this is this this was also this was emerging of Logan, of Old Man Logan, but it's also emerging of the House of M Messiah Complex graphic novels where a young girl in the future who's the you know first new mutant in many years right. who was Hope in yep. the comics, but ironically Cable, who's Deadpool's buddy, um, right, uh, a friend of me, I should say. 
day. Cable's shepherding her through time, and all the other X-Men who are still alive are trying to find her. They work in a bunch of that, and a bunch, a bunch of original material. I mean, dude, I have to say, as someone who read X-Men in the 90s and has been dabbling in it the last few years and been following the storylines and watching the movies, I couldn't have asked for a more satisfying experience. I was just, that's why I'm saying I was grinning ear to ear on the way out. I mean, I was crying at the end. I Honestly, me and my dad were tearing up during the funeral scene, but when I walked out of there, I was just on such a high and I've been waiting to see it again because I, I didn't want to rush it. I wanted to let it marinate. And so I think maybe like one more week, I'll, I'll go for, <laughs> for a second watching. Uh, I, I just loved it. I'm really happy you liked it. I, uh, I may go back for a second viewing. I, I, I saw it by myself. So if I had people who wanted to go, I'd probably go along for a second viewing. Yeah. I found it extremely satisfying. But in a really odd way, it was the ways in which it didn't satisfy that I found yeah. so satisfying. That it leaves so much open to interpretation and yep. unsettled i actually really like that because i think that's very courageous you know Other than, they don't sorry, they don't yeah. literally say what xavier did they mention the westchester incident and you're left to sort of imply what's yeah. what that means you see him save the mutant kids for a minute and then you're left to kind of interpret and decide well did they really get away who are these people in canada that are sheltering them could that be another trap you know what what was that yeah. all of those answers that you don't have i liked that mangold was courageous enough to not answer those and i liked not having everything spoon fed to me so yeah. the dissatisfaction was satisfying if that makes any sense absolutely and, and there was an amazing bit of sort of uh self-parodying uh, while still being dark and violent at the end We're, you know we've been teased about the canadian experiments at alkali lake for 17 years right and we finally find out who the lead scientist was and then the second that we find it out the only time wolverine's ever shot anyone he shoots him in the head yeah right <laughs> right another moment where it's like i think i killed your dad yeah, yeah. i think you did boom, boom. <laughs> I, again not exactly answered yeah uh, yeah that was also good. a scene that i i found mm. really interesting was when they finally – the mutant kids kill Donald Pierce with yeah. like all their mutant powers together, oh, it yeah. was satisfying, but it was also kind of horrifying. Yeah. Like the way they're standing over him and they're all – some of their eyes are actually glowing. It yeah. reminded me of like Children of the Corn or yeah. Village of the Damned or yeah. any of those evil children movies. Right. Um, it's like if Harry Potter be- met Children of the Corn or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not quite meant to say, oh, these are just innocent victims and they're – you know, Daphne Keene, her character is this really empowered character, but all these other mutants like strangling, electrocuting, and puncturing this guy to death all at once, yeah. it's kind of meant to be horrifying, and it almost sends the message of, well, maybe they had a good reason for introducing this corn syrup virus that killed all the mutants. I, I, I'm know? telling you right here, buddy, I don't even know if we'll be still be doing the podcast, because it's going to be so far away before she becomes normal-aged. Daphne Keene is going to be a star. I called it with Emma Watson when she was a kid in Harry Potter. I called it with the chick from Kick-Ass, who's uh, Chloe Moritz. Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I just have a feel for kid actors. She has great charisma, and I'm glad. Uh, oh, that's what I want to ask you with, and then we really should move on. Okay. There weren't a ton yeah, of people when I saw it because it was previews night. It was like Thursday before the Friday. I mean, there was a good number. It was all hardcore fans, and so everyone got all the references, and so we're gasping at all the revelations and stuff. It was great. But, right. but three quarters through the movie, when Laura starts just yelling at him in Spanish after not talking yeah. the whole time, the whole theater just had, I mean, people were laughing. They were gasping. I don't know if you had that experience in your theater. 
I um or just you personally. Thing that yeah. I when Laura starts screaming at him in Spanish, yeah. I I laughed quite a bit, <laughs> yeah. especially because I speak a little bit of Spanish. So yeah. I, one of the things she yells at him when he's yelling at her is, "I wasn't talking to you because you're always insulting me." Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I thought that scene. There's some really funny moments in this in the movie to for sure. Overall, it's a pretty bleak tone, I think, and I don't even think that that's a negative necessarily. It's yep. not the most attractive tone I would seek in a movie. Again, I'd rather something be a little bit more lighthearted and fun, well, this, this is but I can yeah. commend something for executing a darker, right. bleaker tone really well. Th- this was my Mad Max to me. This is what okay. I would want in a Mad Max post-apocalyptic style movie. Something that has a little bit of heart and a little bit of hope and a little bit of love. You know what I mean? I think Mad Max had those things, but I understand you didn't. You think it had feel- heart, hope, and love? Huh. Yeah. Okay. Other than Nick it Holt's ends- character who, who gets killed? I, I don't know that it necessarily had love in it, but it definitely had heart, and it had hope, hmm. because in the end, they overthrow and smash this patriarchy, and when they come back to his uh, base, whatever it's called, and they give all of the water to the poor, impoverished people, and there is this sense of joy in the community. Uh, and it definitely feels like well, Mad Max himself has yeah, had some kind of, I guess he, he's regained some measure of his own lost humanity through this experience. I think there's hope in that until Furiosa decides to become the next dictator. Um, but we yeah, won't, but we won't I don't think there. it's implied that she's going to be the same as him. I, I really don't think that's where, uh, I, I just, it, that, that seemed to be a marriage of convenience. The people in that truck, you know, and maybe they did come to care about each other in the six hours or whatever they were driving across the desert in circles. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's not the same I'm building on, on years and years of relationships. Also, I loved Stephen Merchant and his short role as Caliban, who's a really bizarre but important mutant in the comics that is related to the story. I thought his makeup was spectacular. I have no idea mm-hmm. how they did that. This movie, you know, is about a hundred million dollar movie, and that's kind of what it felt like, you know. But they, yeah, it was all practical. I don't know. Obviously, they had a stunt double for um, for Laura, um, for Daphne Keene. Uh, but oh my god, did it look seamless with the claws? I mean, that's the thing, people. If you don't like knife fighting or people getting cut, you should stay very far away because this whole movie is just people getting sliced open by various claws. And by the way, I didn't know that she had claws in the comics. I must, I must have to read some more X Force. Uh, if you like this stuff, people go read X Force. You'll learn all about these characters. That was a really cool twist. Oh, and Patrick Stewart was great with the little girl, obviously. Yes. So you know he lost like twenty one, twenty two pounds for this role to Patrick Stewart. He said he's never. And he looks it. He looks yeah. emaciated, and he has hair. You notice that that he kind of grew back some of his hair. Yeah. Yeah. So um, God bless. Um, yeah, dude, halfway through the movie, I'm like, I'm loving this. There's no way I'm seeing this again in the theater. But by the end, I was so hooked. I was like, okay, I'm definitely seeing this again. <laughs> and then I'll get the Blu-ray and I'll do the commentary. Um, oh, people, look out. Rogue One's coming out in two weeks. You better believe Bizzle's doing commentary. Day of. Maddie G's not invited. <laughs> <laughs> because God forbid you have an alternate opinion in your commentary. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, Shall we move on? Let's move on. Uh, so um, let's see. What do we got here, buddy? 
Well, do we want to talk oh, stuff? I, I got, I got, I got the bridge. I got the bridge. I got the all bridge. right. Bridget. Okay, so Logan, guys, we're gonna be a little thematic this week because the TV shows have been weird, and we don't even like most of the shows this week. And yeah, so Arrow nearly broke me, guys. Oh, we'll we're, get to we're, it later. Yeah. Oh man, we're gonna we're gonna we'll have therapy session with Matt about Arrow coming up, uh, and I'll be on the couch too because I'm still traumatized from <laughs> trying to leave Arrow. Um, so Logan is ultra violent. I mean, it, it fetishizes the violence it's necessary in the course of the movie it's not just like kill bill for example it's not just the fetishization of violence but it's you know it's like john wick i mean i I only recently saw john wick one and i'm seeing john wick two in a couple days and i couldn't help but think about the comparisons of just like close-up blood just Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but but super realistic and the fact that John Wick is just going point blank to people's heads, boom, 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 yes. boom, the body count, it's almost more disturbing, I think, with the gun, because at least with the claws, you have to work at it. Anyone can shoot a gun, although obviously John Wick's very good at it. So I used to hate these ultraviolet movies, man, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. the thing I hated or didn't like about Mad Max wasn't the violence per se, it was just the tone, and it just it just creeped yeah, me yeah. out. Um, no, no, I'm not, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's, it's not a bad movie, it's just, it, it didn't speak speak to me but i'm saying if i saw mad max 10 years ago i really would have disliked it for the violence specifically now i don't know when this changed for me so i'm trying i'm just trying to create a little narrative here so kill bill came out in 2003 and kill bill 2 came out in 2004 and i was horrified by those movies I, you know, I liked Pulp Fiction. I was never the guy who like loved Pulp Fiction and thought it was the best movie ever. Like, I feel like all my teenage friends like that was the go-to. Like, oh yeah, Pulp Fiction is the best movie. Blah 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 blah. Maybe some people still say that, um, but it, it wasn't until Inglorious Bastards that I really started appreciating uh, Tarantino because there there was actually meaning and reason for the violence in Inglorious Bastard. But you know what it was, man. And this is where the bridge is. And we're going to bridge to both Into the Badlands and Iron Fist here. Okay. With the ultraviolence in Into the Badlands. But it was go- watching Ghost in the Shell, getting into all the movies and the TV shows, senior right. year of college, around 2004, 2005, that in watching, even though it's anime, it's so bloody. And they'll go through long periods where nothing happens, and then all of a sudden, like, heads are exploding all over the place. And it's beautiful. Like, it's just beautiful to watch like from an artistic standpoint and then i started looking at violence in like a different way you know what i mean and so now i can handle movies like john wick and into the badlands which i had heard was entertaining i started watching on amc um and i don't know how we're going to sort of connect into the badlands and iron fists into the badlands when, when they do action scenes is very hyper violent i don't know how amc gets away with things like into the badlands and the walking dead that'll be one question i'm going to throw your way um my other question though man is have you always been cool and kind of into the hyper violent you know super bloody rated r type logan mad max kill bill into the badlands you know uh type stuff john wick um no not really not because i didn't like it i mean my parents were fairly restrictive on the tv that i was allowed to watch as a kid i think i've said before i wasn't allowed to watch gi joe or have gi joe toys because they just thought that a cartoon where the bad guys are terrorists that live in the desert was a little bit too relevant to the to the 90s you know to the present political climate whereas shows about zapping ghosts with lasers or talking turtles was they figured i was smart enough to know that that wasn't really reality um 
But I definitely I saw the Kill Bill movies in theaters and I I liked them a lot. Um, John Wick I saw on DVD. I watched on on demand, but the Equalizer I saw in theaters because I heard it was good and I really liked it. Um, so ultra violence I don't really have a problem with. I don't like ultra violent like torture stuff. I've never been into that, and I've never been into horror particularly, but. Ultra-violent action films got their place. I'm not mm. probably not my favorite thing that I seek out, but if it's good, I'll watch it and enjoy it. But does it does um, it change it for you if it's you know like meaningful violence versus let's just you know? Well, what's go meaningful crazy? violence? What does that mean? M- meaning that it makes sense within within the telling of the story and the genre of of. of I mean, yeah, you could argue yeah, that that's yes. for everything. Yeah. Yes, if it's just gross for the sake of gross. I, that I don't particularly dig. Yeah. For instance, 300 was another one that really turned me off. Mel Gibson pit, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I I was about to start getting into Mel Gibson. 300 I didn't like because I don't like Zack Snyder. I I don't like anything about the way Zack Snyder makes movies and is the movies of his that I liked on first viewing like 300 and Watchmen. I have liked increasingly less with each subsequent viewing. Um, you know, Watchmen has in the combat scenes like bone snapping and CGI blood in this really like unnecessary. Everything is so stylized. I don't know why they have to do this kind of stylized violence this way. It felt out of character for these people, even for Rorschach, who is this psychopath protagonist. Um, You know, even with all the limbs being cut off in 300 is like, eh, this show, this movie doesn't have the goods to justify this kind of violence. Whereas a movie like John Wick, it builds the violence into this world that it's building, yeah. and it just—I don't know—it it cohere. It's more coherent than anything I've ever seen Zack Snyder do. Yeah, and actually, I was listening to Keanu Reeves earlier today on, on the Nerdist. Actually, it was from a few weeks ago. I was just listening to it today, and they talked about how the the director and and the and the artists and stuff. You know the amount of blood and like where it goes and like which direction and stuff like that. Like they spend a right. lot of time thinking about, and I think that's important mm-hmm. to have it be, even if it's really gory, to be somewhat realistic and to realistic be, and smart. Yeah, you know, smart. I, Wolverine was. I thought Logan was the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed getting to see Wolverine cut loose because he really only. Through all those other movies, the only scene where I think he really gets to cut loose before this is the um, the first time Stryker, when he invades uh, the mansion in X2. I think he yeah. does some pretty good bloody skewering in yeah. that, but that's just one scene. And even the rest of the movie, he's really nowhere near as violent as yeah. he is in that one scene. Yeah. Yeah, where he, I love that scene where he's hanging out drinking sodas with Bobby in the in the kitchen and yeah. skewers the guy against the refrigerator and he pulls his claws out and the guy drops and you can see like a hole all the way through the refrigerator, holes all the way through the refrigerator. <laughs> um, but I just, I don't know, man, looking back on the history of the film, and again, I'm not trying to denigrate Kill Bill because I like, I really like Quentin Tarantino, but with Gladiator... For some reason, Ridley Scott in 2000 with Gladiator nailed fake blood. I mean, CGI blood. Looking real is what I meant to say. Like, if you watch Gladiator now, you're like, oh, that's totally CGI blood going all over the place. But because it was like a war movie kind of setting, you know, it worked Mm -hmm. for me. And then I felt like a lot of people 
And to be fair, if Matrix had just had the balls to be a rated R franchise, they would have been equally this bloody. Um, you know, Kill Bill, Three Hundred. There's a bunch of movies like the first half of the of the aughts that you know now that fake blood, <laughs> CGI blood was like available. You know, it, it was just like all over the place. And I feel like maybe direct. And again, this just me me, me projecting onto the history of film. I feel like it, you know over the years, directors have gotten better about. Yes, trying to be more realistic about. It. I mean, John Wick feels like a war movie. I know it's not. I know it's a gangster movie, but because it's a of, revenge film and a gangster yeah. film, yeah. I mean, but just in terms of how visceral it is, like sure, he's shooting people in the head the whole time, but it never stops feeling like real or visceral. Yeah, right. I, I think some of that's because of the shooting style. Uh, you know, the way the the fight scenes are are choreographed and shot, they feel very intimate, which I like. Yeah. Um, and he's you know, not I, getting I off on it. The, I'm sorry. And that's important. That yeah. Logan and John Wick never are getting pleasure out of the violence itself. And that's why the headshots and John Wick, and the, and the accountant, this happens to a lesser extent because it's just not as much action. But Ben Affleck does the same stuff. Whenever he can get a headshot and just kill someone immediately, he never tortures them, no matter how much he hates them. Never tortures. Tor- and that's what I realized also over the years. The torture porn is so much worse. You know, if you're going to kill someone, get it over with, the headshot. And, and John Wick, I watch closely, man, when I watched it. He never got pleasure, even when he was killing the kid that he was going after the whole time. Right. I mean... It was a means to an end. Yeah, exactly. I feel like John Wick, if they had just given the guy up right away, he wouldn't have killed any of those other people. If anything, there is almost a sense of self-hatred that is overlays everything John Wick does because he really feels like he gave up this life to be with his girl. This girl was symbolized by the dog that he had left to remember her by. That was taken away, and he feels like he's slipping back into this world he really wanted to leave behind. And so he is unhappy that he has to keep killing these people to get this result that he wants. Um, yeah, in fact, and I'm sorry, I got to just tell the story real quick. So I haven't seen John Wick too. I'm finally going this weekend with my dad. I begged Matt to confirm with me that they weren't going to kill another dog in this movie, and Matt refused to say anything. I kind of felt like they weren't going to, so I had to look it up online because I couldn't take another dog killing. What does that say <laughs> about me? I, I'll watch a hundred people get shot in the head, a dog gets killed, I lose my mind. But he. he Chris Hardwick on the interview actually asked Keanu Reeves' per, um, permission to spoil just that. Because <laughs> he said, you know, him and his, his fiance love the first movie, but they were traumatized by the dog thing. So, uh, no more dog death. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, what I will say is the scene in which it is hinted that right, that happens, right. it's made to make you yeah. ask that question. Yeah. It's shot in a way that makes you think, Oh God! Did they just kill John Wick's dog again? They like so. I didn't want to spoil it, even to reassure you, because I didn't want to take away the dramatic tension of a scene that was designed to provoke that exact question. I know, but that would have made me walk out of the movie, even if okay. it was good. Then, yeah. then you live with that choice, and you yep. seem fine with it. I I'm mean, <laughs> different movies, ha- the violence feels more or less appropriate to it. I like that the first Matrix doesn't have a lot of blood. If anything. For whatever reason, that sort of heightened reality approach, it makes sense to not have it be so visceral. Yeah, I thought, but the bloodless killing. Private Ryan, I, yeah. I couldn't handle the beginning of it. I thought that was so gross sorry, which and one? violent. Saving Private Ryan, oh, when they stormed yeah. the beach. Yeah. That movie, that opening is so gross with people's intestines spilling out. I, it's probably well done, 
but I had to walk out of the theater because I got nauseous. I got really sick watching it. Wow. Um, and the bits and pieces I've seen of that new war movie that Mel Gibson made where dudes are like getting their faces shot to pieces yeah. off in front of each other. I mean, yeah. all of that just feels like weird and fetishized and sexualized in some weird way. Like yeah. it's some kind of release for the filmmaker. So, you know, some movies, the violence goes too far for me and some, it doesn't well, to be I, fair. He's a medic in world war two. I mean, that's the whole point is he's trying to save these people's lives, but I agree with you about Mel Gibson in particular. Yes. He clearly has a, a violence fetish. Although I will say, man, Bra- Braveheart though, bloody is, is fairly restrained. I've never seen Braveheart. Oh, I'm, so I'm never going to either. I have oh, your loss. Yeah, I know, but I don't care because I hate Mel Gibson, and I, I I'm not consistent about this. I know, mm-hmm. um, you know, but this is one of the lines I've drawn: is I am not going to see things with Mel Gibson or that he's connected to. Um, Just know that every great medieval war movie you ever see is taken from Braveheart, basically. Good, yep. fine, yep. great, right? <laughs> Shall we turn to television? So the point is, into the Badlands. <laughs> great violence not such a great show so far for me almost through first season yeah. we'll see what happens in season two if, if you guys if, if you guys are fans or or hate the show out there please write it write us on on facebook or, or twitter whatever and let us know because just really quickly man because me and you have talked about this the, the acting and writing just isn't great and as matt has pointed out and i normally agree with this perspective the writing is worse than the acting yeah i agree and, um, and uh, it's but at least we have a semi-Asian milieu with an Asian lead, but they are casting in that show specifically are casting diversity all around in that movie to throw us off. And uh, I'm okay. Like, you know, like it may not always be like, like (laughs) for example, in Atlanta, it wouldn't make sense to like, you know, have like lots of like rich white kids hanging around or whatever <laughs> you know like right in the wire they have to be very careful about who's hanging out where with who and when because that's how it is in the real world but in a you know future fantasy world or whatever you can you can mix it up and i'm, I'm in big support of it um but for me what works about the the asian stuff and in into the badlands is yes the lead character is asian and yes he's a pretty honorable cool dude um but it's also reminiscent of kind of you know this because of Miyazaki and other movies. It feels like a, an Asian version of an alternate post-apocalyptic future of some sort, right? As opposed to like the Walking Dead American zombie thing. Like there, there, there is a distinction there. I don't know. Um, sure. I, I mean, it's a future horses where Kung and Fu swords has, and yeah, you know, and everybody's got throwing stars and yeah. it's all broken up into baronies that feel the houses, like they could be. Yeah. Yeah. But it feels like it could be something out of like feudal Japan yeah. or China before China unified. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely sort of an, a, a, a future where the Asian not the Asian where a sort of Asian influenced way of life has become the main form of existence, um, which is different than even something like the walking dead, which is all guns and cowboys and rednecks and crossbows. And it's awesome, but it's super American. It is really American. Um, um, zombies feel like a very American kind of a thing. Like, and that was sort of where I wanted you to go with the into the badlands, walking dead comparison kind of thing. You know, I, I'm positive there are zombie fiction or stuff about reanimated corpses from a long time ago. But as opposed to, say, something like vampires that 
are very, very British. I mean, they're super British, um, especially in that they're mostly a metaphor for British fears about sex. The women that turn into vampires in Bram mm-hmm. Stoker's book, they know they're vampires because they're sexually aggressive and they reject like motherhood. I think one of them actually like tears a baby apart or throws one across a room. Damn. So that's what the, you know, that's the metaphor of these women who suck out your fluid and et cetera. Um, hmm. but zombies feel super American. This idea of just wanting to mow everyone down around you indiscriminately. Yep. That feels like a very American approach to conflict resolution. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I've read some manga and seen some anime, Right, I've probably seen a little bit more anime than I've read manga, but I have both. You have as well. Not a ton of zombies in anime. Not or a lot manga. of zombies. If you look at it, it's either you know robots or te- technological beings, or it's like spirits from the forests or from spirits. the ancient world kind of thing, right? Like in Princess yeah. Mononoke, or, or or you know. Um, Some vampire stuff. Vampire Hunter D is a, yeah. a, a pretty long-standing manga franchise. But that's what I'm saying. Um, like, you watch something like Princess Mononoke, and it's right. just such a more interesting and relevant kind of tale where you have nature trying to fight back against industrialization, basically. Right. Which is a very Chinese and Japanese thing. They were traumatized by industrialization because it happened to them. Happened to them by us or by the Europeans and they were already behind from the beginning. And so you had all of these ancient traditions and native cultures being destroyed and, you know, ways of life. And, and, uh, and then of course we know for sure that the post-apocalyptic obsession in Japan is very much related to the dropping of the atomic bombs. Um, in, in America, yeah, we're obsessed with, with zombies and werewolves and vampires and uh it is weird but it does seem very culturally specific mm-hmm. i agree do you think um, do you think there are, um does walking dead fall into the zombies are a metaphor for a b c d e f g or they're just zombies i, I think they're mostly just zombies i mean they're they're always there they're this ever-present threat but the show is mostly whether this is a good or a bad thing up for debate is mostly about how people use the zombie apocalypse to take power, whether it's small amounts of power or large amount, like large swaths of the American Southeast or the Chesapeake Bay area. Mm -hmm. You know, they start in Atlanta and now they're in the DC Virginia area. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's always people who are really vicious, awful people who in one way or another use the zombies to their advantage. You know, the, the big bad that they're fighting right now is Negan, portrayed by uh, um, Jeffrey Morgan, Dean Morgan. And his base, there are zombies basically impaled all along the, enter- the fence that rings the property. So if anybody even tried to get in, they'd have to run through a fleet of these immobilized zombies who can't hurt the people inside, but could fuck up the people trying to invade. Hmm. So you know, again, use the apocalypse to spread terror, basically. I think there's something very, um, and I'm not ma- making an accusation of you or anyone watching this because I have tons of liberal friends who love zombie shit, but there is something kind of cons- American conservative about zombies, right? About the masses, the poor masses and, or just rich people who want to like 
you know, put themselves on these colonies with walls and, and the fence with Mexico, right? I mean, we're basically treating Mexicans like zombies and in The Walking Dead, like some huge wall is going to do anything. I guess any, I guess any tale where, yeah, where, where, where the masses are made to be evil in some ways is sort of a reactionary, a reactionary tale in some ways. Um, I would probably actually agree with that. What I would say is that this depiction of the idea of the enemy as a faceless horde that is unstoppably coming towards you to take what's yours. Mm -hmm. Yes. There is a very obvious 21st century American political metaphor in there of the faceless horde of immigrants or what, or gay people, you know, with their culture that's just encroaching on you. That's going to take away Jesus or, or whatever bullshit you believe. Um, sorry. Uh, so yeah, there is something American and there is, he just said Jesus was bullshit. (laughs) Well, the idea that gay culture and letting them get married and not, and making it Goisman CCT at Twitter. Yeah, Matt Goisman, CCT. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying Jesus is bullshit. I'm saying no, Jesus letting gays get married yeah. and legislating so that you can't refuse that to let gay people stay at your hotel isn't yeah. going to take Jesus away from you. Yep. Um, if it does, your faith sucks and you need to strengthen it. Anyway, yep. um, anyway. Uh, so Sorry. yeah, there is something conservative yeah. and American about this idea of, of everybody around you that isn't you is the enemy. And I think that is definitely part of the zombie stuff. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that only conservatives like zombie things. And it doesn't mean that the people who like it are secretly conservative. It just means that there is something relevant in a society that seems to be ta- being taken over by a conservative mentality to find this appealing, that there is something about this that speaks to how we're all feeling right now, that this attitude is pervasive, even if we don't believe it. Right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, zombies being created by us accidentally happens in what ninety five percent of zombie almost always properties. But then you have a split between the ones where they were created on purpose or created by accident. Now some are in the middle, right? And then you have the Serenity scenario, which I know exists a million places, including I think the I Am Legend book, uh, which I haven't read. Um, the, can't remember. you know, we're trying to create people to do this and they turn into, you know, we're trying to control people and they turn into zombies thing. Right. But that's what was so cool about, about, uh, the Serenity movie was by the time they're really like killing zombies at the end, you kind of feel bad for the zombies because you, you know, the, how the Reavers were, you know, created by, by the Alliance, you know, so you get your zombie action as opposed to season after, again, I'm not criticizing the walking dead. I know it's a great show and people love it, but it's season after city of just slaughtering up the other, right? The, capital T, capital O. And there, and there's a million shows out there where just people slaughtering the other zombies. Just, uh, it just makes it easier to do it. Cause we dehumanize them. Yeah, exactly. And that is what serenity does is, you know, right at the beginning of Serenity, when they don't know what's caused them, and Jane and Kaylee are talking, the way she talks about the Reavers and the way they're talked about in the show when they're mentioned is that ultimately these are terrible, terrifying people who, for whatever reason, chose this life. That, yeah. in Kaylee's words, they went out to the edge of space, saw there was nothing, and went bib- all bibbity, I think, bibbledy or something yeah, like that. Yep. But, and Shepard Book, seem, when he talks about the Reavers in the TV show, also mm-hmm. seems to suggest they consented to this lifestyle, whereas what 
Serenity suggests is that they had no idea this was happening to them, that the government basically picked their planet to be an experimental planet, introduced this shit, it mm-hmm. killed almost all of them, and the ones who were left were transformed into this. So now they are the victims of government uh, lack of foresight. And and I think that, again, is something very American in the way that almost every political conflict we seem to engage with can be traced back to a political choice we made to interfere in that same country mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40 years ago. Well, in the same way, we create the zombies, and now they come back to kill us. We funded the, we trained the Taliban, and then they attack us. You know, we mm-hmm. destabilize X number of Central or South American countries, and then they turn out to become ruled over by drug lords who are murdering people and sending their drugs to us, or, or whatever the narrative you want. There's always this point where the Americans get involved, fuck it up because they can't think beyond a year in advance, and then 20 years later, they're paying for it. And that's zombieism. So again, this very American political mentality, we find something appealing in a show that's sort of a metaphor for that. I mean, if the Americans just read Dune before getting involved in the Middle East, (laughs) they would know how that ends. I think if Americans just read more, maybe we'd all be better off, but that's beside the point. I love that Kaylee seed, by the way. I'll kill a man in a fight, or if he right. looks at me funny, or if they, <laughs> there's a woman. Or if I'm getting paid, yeah. mostly if I'm getting paid. Mostly if I'm getting paid. <laughs> Eating people? When did that get fun? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jane. Jane? Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking- Much better person than Adam Baldwin is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of television shows, but ones that are not good, brings us to Iron Fist. Yes. Matt and I have both been posting and writing about this. All you have to do is search Iron Fist on YouTube to get a bazillion bad reviews, accusing it of being everything from boring to racist, both and everything in between. I don't know that I have much to say on this, man. Um, I have sort of a meta, just a quick meta thought about about the Defenders experiment, but I'll, I'll mm-hmm. let you speak your piece about uh, about Iron Fist, and, and you'll probably cover what I'm going to say, so go ahead. All right, so I'm going to go back completely on something I've said previously. In the past, I have not been particularly down on race-swapping Iron Fist to cast an Asian or Asian-American character because i was afraid that doing that would do more to confirm stereotypes about martial arts and the idea that only asian people can play them or that all asian actors are martial arts actors that that would confirm that more than it would be empowering and while i'm still would nervous about that in the wake of what has happened i think they did make a big mistake by not doing that because What they've created is a show that doesn't really seem to be about anything larger than itself. Daredevil was about gentrification, or at least the first season was. J.J., Jessica Jones, obviously was about rape and abuse and trauma. Luke Cage was about race and power and how it intersects. Um, And all three of those shows spoke to people because it was able to touch on this larger theme. There might be a perfectly good Iron Fist show that could be made about the – specifically, I would say Chinese because Kunlun – technically, it's in another dimension. But the Kunlun Mountains are in China, and 
thing about the character suggests he's mostly inspired by kung fu and Chinese martial arts. So there'd be an interesting show you could probably make about the Chinese immigrant or a Chi- the son of a Chinese immigrant's experience in America that maybe speaks to a culture that doesn't get a ton of conversation about them in mass media sitcom fresh off the boat which i've actually heard is not terrible um but i know that there are a lot of people specifically chinese americans who feel like their experience is not being represented and iron fist could have done that if it had cast an asian character preferably somebody of actual chinese descent and made the show about a chinese danny rand and i don't think that would have really killed the narrative they could have done the same plots and mm-hmm. solved some of these problems, and I think it would have meant something. Quick, just a quick, quick thought. Right. If the casting was good and the writing was good and the acting was good and the reason for him not being Asian was compelling. Side note: I'm curious to see, even if it's not a good movie, whether Ghost in the Shell does this. I think Ghost in the Shell is going to explain why she's not Japanese in the movie. Back right. to Iron Fist. <clears throat> if if there was a good show there would be less room to complain. But since it's so terrible, yes. according to everybody, it just opens itself up to it. And, and that's course, the place you never want to be. So, go ahead. Exactly. And it leaves spaces to kick it up, to pick it apart. Yep. This does seem like somewhere that they could have gone. And if they weren't going to go in this direction, everything about what people are saying about this show makes it sound rushed. That maybe what they should have done is decided to make Defenders a four-year project instead of a three-year project and just waited another year. We could have had a second season of Jessica Jones, which everybody wants, Mm -hmm. you and me included. We could have had a second season of Luke Cage, which I want because Luke Cage season Wait, we're getting a second season of Jessica Jones. Oh, you mean before. Before Defenders. There's there's no reason why whatever Jessica Jones does next – couldn't happen before defenders that I know of. Now maybe they're going to deal with her in such a way in that mini series in the fall, probably around September that explains, no, it had to be after Kilgrave, but without anything more happening to her. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I would rather based on these pre-release things, rather have a second season of Jessica Jones and a second season of Luke Cage than iron fist and defenders right now. I would rather get those two shows another season and then do Iron Fist at this point next year, so it's still the the segue into Defenders and then Defenders. Mm-hmm. And then they get another year to make this show better because this show sounds like it's just poorly conceived and poorly executed and rushed. Um, and lucky, you know, luckily for Netflix and the Defenders and Marvel... Whatever you think about the other three Defenders characters, they certainly have lots of followers and are yeah. charismatic in their own way. Yeah. I, you know, if it wasn't for Jessica Jones, I probably wouldn't be at all excited for the Defenders. As it is, right. I'm just mildly curious and excited to see her insult each of them and then, you know, insult <laughs> her back, and that will be hilarious. Right. Um, it, they're already trolling each other online. Like the, def- right. the the accounts of each of the four defenders are trolling, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, but man, what what happened? This was my meta thought. We saw the Matrix in 1999. Now, yep. in retrospect, you think there's a lot more kung fu in the Matrix than there actually is because the Matrix Reloaded has a shit ton of kung fu. In right. fact, the, 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 the Morpheus uh, Neo training scene is the only straight-up kung fu fight. 
After that, mm-hmm. it's a lot of gunplay and then brawling. Yep. You know, both of the Smith fights are brawl fights, basically. Yep. Um, and uh, then in the second, then Reloaded, there's a ton of kung fu again. And, we, and they add in, they add a martial arts expert to play Seraph specifically to have more kung fu, and that's what part of what I love about it. But then in 2000, you had Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which I saw when I was in Israel, and it was like a fucking transcendent experience to me. I know you like mm-hmm. Hero better. I love Hero. I need to rewatch it. But those two movies, so that was like 2000, both Crouching terrific Tiger, movies. terrific movies, both nominated for Best Foreign Film. Crouching Tiger won, and it was actually nominated for Best Regular Film. Uh, Hero was nominated, I think, 2003. Fantastic movies that seem like the future, right? Between the, and you had um, uh, Yuan Wu Ping is the action mm-hmm. choreographer, um, going all the way back to the Jet Li um, and uh, Donnie Yen movies in, in nineteen in the 1990s. Fist of Legend right. in 94, then Matrix, Crouching Tiger, and then both of the Matrix sequels, Kill Bill, you know, right. and then a bunch of like cheesy ones that came over here, like Kung Fu Hustle and The Forbidden Kingdom, which I was excited about at the time and wasn't that good. Um, like, what happened? Kung like, Fu Hustle is a comedy. I mean, I no, I was talking about The Forbidden Kingdom. I was, I was, I just mentioning names of stuff. Of I mean, the thing you have to remember Forbidden though Kingdom is was when they brought Jackie Chan and Jet Li together for the right. first time. Um, I mean, yeah. now some of this is that the movies that we're talking about. So Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was an Ang Lee film. And for whatever reason, Ang Lee decided to not make any more of those wuxia, wushu, I guess is the subgenre. I'm not sure how to pronounce it correctly. Yeah, uh, no, right. Movies. Yeah. You know, after that, he did Hulk, Brokeback Mountain, Lust Caution, Life of Pi, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which is like a, a soldier comes back from war sort of a thing. So he just – the the – the guy who made the best one of these that ever came out in the U.S. stopped making this kind of film, and I don't know why, but that was just sort of the the creative choice he made. Now, the other guy, Zhang Mu, who is the one who did Hero, he continued to make these kinds of movies. I mean, he mostly made these. He did Hero. He did House of Flying Daggers, which got a fair amount of press at the time but was just sort of thought of as not as good as hero and he kept making these kinds of movies but none of them came to the u.s until the great wall which as far as i can tell is chinese propaganda with very with like Mm -hmm. lizard monsters i mean that's what everyone has told me is it's basically about two white guys who are portrayed as morally reprehensible Mm -hmm. going to china and finding their honor among these super honorable, powerful, uh, like beautiful Chinese characters. I'm sorry, which movie so, is this? The Great Wall, the, uh, the oh, Matt oh, Damon oh, yeah. thing that came out. Yeah, people. A if you want to watch ago. historical stuff, see The Last Emperor, or there's a whole bunch of Chinese epics, historical. Yeah, epics. sure. I, I don't even think this was made to be historical. I, I I think this was really like a propaganda action film, basically. Yeah. So. I don't know why this particular subgenre of Chinese film, it seems like it it kind of just dried up in terms of its interest in the U.S. And I don't don't really know why. Um, Maybe people's interest turned to TV and until Into the Badlands, it was hard to translate that style to television, maybe? I think it's just laziness. I mean... 
you know how long the Crouching Tiger and Matrix movies worked on, on that choreography? Sure. I mean, that's extremely Absolutely. hard I to mean, do. I mean, I love get back to John Wick. Love John Wick. But shooting people in the head is way easier than what he yeah. did in the Matrix movies. And as you pointed out, Keanu Reeves was already a trained fighter before. But then after three Matrix movies, I mean, that guy can fight. Um, sure. And that actually informs his shooting. You know, he manages to make that look cooler. Um, yeah, Wushu just means martial arts um in chinese uh so yeah that you just we're just but it's not just the actual martial arts it is that just that genre of sort of medieval like a timeless medieval chinese past right almost like a like a semi-fantasy almost i mean they're flying in crouching tiger at points you know there is a kind of surrealism to it which is so cool you know people love that movie it made Let's see, made over $200 million at the box office in Chinese in 2000, you know? Like, I don't understand. So now we have to wait for Iron Fist, but it has to be comic books and magic with a white guy who can't even act? Like, <laughs> and now Marvel's going to be responsible for this, you know? And this is being called across the board, this is my other meta question, Marvel's first big failure. Now, you'll be happy to know that in some of the reviews I've read, they've also pointed to Thor and some of the other, uh, and the ABC properties as failures as well, um, which I know you agree on. Uh, but to me, even, I mean, look, I can't defend current Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I haven't been watching it for a while, but this seems like right. a much bigger failure than at least the first two or three seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I watched, which had many problems. This seems highly more problematic. Uh, it, that definitely seems to be the case. Absolutely. And on the and on the other hand, Legion, uh, which my dad just quit after episode four. Really, I wasn't gonna. I, he really wanted to watch it. He wouldn't listen to me. I told him that he was not gonna like it. He got into episode four, which is basically where I got, and he couldn't watch it anymore. But it's like they're the exact opposite. You know, they're take stretching the comic book thing as far as it, I mean. Does it even feel like a comic book show at this point? What Legion? Legion. Uh, this was. It was mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that was a semi pivot. I just, just in terms of comparing a Netflix property, which has been built built up so much as a superhero property, superhero property, magic, kung fu, superhero, Marvel, yay, and Legion, which other than the X and the O of Legion, no one would really know was a comic book movie or TV show. Um. I, I no, I, Legion does not feel very much like a comic book movie at all, a comic book show no, at know. all. It for one, it has a very non-linear narrative style, and this particular episode that takes place entirely, basically within a hallucination, yep. uh, is or well, it's like a shared hallucination. Basically, the last episode ends with them all; they've been attacked by. David being controlled by the devil with the yellow eyes. And then when they all sort of blink and suddenly they're all in the uh, clockworks uh, hospital, that turns out to be this world that the, the shit, the um, devil has created Mm -hmm. to keep them compliant, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. So was this, was this the episode was at the beginning where they just hold on his, um, was his mother or his sister's face for like five minutes? Uh, like one shot, the camera's just like right up on her. Was that this week? I was like, I was, uh, I was watching in the sort of in the background with the sound down. I was looking down. I looked up like five minutes later. The camera was like still on her, on her face. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. 
So, um, I I don't I can't remember. Um, I I think I get mixed up because episode, his sister his sister feels like his mom to me. Like she seems so much old older. I get con- a little bit. I, I yeah, a little she's, confused. she's pretty tired out for sure. I get a little confused. Um, and by the way, I I can't remember exactly what the relationship is, but there is a connection between like Hong Kong and John Wick too. Like there is okay. an influence of Chinese filmmaking in in John Wick too. So there, that's deliberate, maybe. Um, anyway, no, no, that was a good point though, because it was something we we talked about pregame, which or pre pregame, which is that Keanu Reeves just manages to, you know, pull off being a kung fu master as a white guy for some right, exactly. because it's well done and because he's great and and he's always in, even if you don't love the movies, at least the choreography and the, the theming is always great. Right. I mean, and yeah, and I, I haven't seen John Wick too, but John Wick one feels totally like a Hong Kong mob, like a mob film. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, and Keanu Reeves is Hawaiian, which has had a heavy influence of Asian culture on it over the years. And he had a Chinese. He's basically Asian. I mean, ethnically Hawaiian. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, he's, he's a mix of both, but his grandmother, one of his grandmothers was Chinese. And he said he grew up being exposed to Chinese art and Chinese philosophy. Um, And if you want to oversimplify some of the, you know, things like Taoism or Buddhism or whatever, Keanu Reeves sort of woe laid back approach could be a very, very, very overly simplified take on kind of that Eastern philosophy. Now I'm oversimplifying by a really wide margin and I recognize that, but hopefully you understand sort of the point I'm trying to make. Um, yeah, well, it's not right. It's not a coincidence that right Seraph and then the Keymaker are both Asian, and yeah, they pepper right. it around. Um, sure, but but just, um, just to tie in, the, but tie, I know we're going all over the place here, but we're just <laughs> a lot of strands in old Duder's head. Um, you know, into the Badlands. It's not just that it's, it's an Asian motif and the lead character is Asian. It's that he is the perfect knight, quote unquote. He's the representation of what's you know of what it's all about it's not it's not just that he's asian if that makes sense like he informs the feeling of it because we're seeing it through at least at first we're seeing it through his eyes it gets a little muddier as you go along yeah um uh, which is one of the reasons why i think the show talking into the badlands right? yeah mm-hmm. i think the muddiness becomes more and more of a problem as mm-hmm. the show continues and i think it's maybe it's strongest at the beginning which yeah, is the first not- two episodes were great and then sort of yeah yeah, so I, I think that muddiness is not a good thing, and yeah. I, 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 I agree with you on that. Um, so can we with, just uh, – no, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to wrap up Legion. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you to wrap up Legion. So uh, Legion, it gives us some more answers. We hear Aubrey Plaza's character talking about David's father. It says – he was always acting so holy. He thought he could hide you from me, but I found you. So we're starting to understand what exactly um, the Legion, what the devil with the yellow eyes is. It is some alternate brain like thing that's in his head. Um, she, Aubrey Plaza compares herself to uh, the – I talked about this on this show – the planet earth ant disease, the disease that takes over ants bodies and forces them to go crazy and run up a pole. And then it's the spores for the virus sprout out of its head and then explode and infect the rest of the colony. So they actually show show that. So the single scariest scene in planet earth 
mm-hmm. they reference. I was like, yes, keep yeah, doing that. Wow, That's you awesome. Nailed that. Nice one. Um, the corticoceps virus or something like that. Anyway, um, N- nature can be pretty horrifying, no doubt. Yeah, and, and and I mean, really, in Planet Earth, this is a super frightening scene. It's really uncomfortable to watch. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, you know, he's he's she says. I'm a your own walking, talking fungus or something like that, and I'm going to sprout out of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think next episode it's going to get revealed that this thing is something called the Shadow King, which is a mutant that in the comics Xavier met very early on uh, in Egypt, uh, a very powerful dude whose powers mostly come from the astral plane, which would make sense because the person who seems trying to fight it is Oliver, Melanie's husband, who has been trapped in the astral plane for like 20 plus years or so. Hmm. Whatever. We're getting answers, which I like. They're kind of interestingly setting up what the final two episodes seem to be, which is sort of it's going to be the Summerland mutants, maybe versus David. And then once he's free, maybe they'll use him to fight something else. Although. At this point, most of the directive people are dead. So really the only fight left is between him and this demon inside him. Is this the same? Is this a Doctor Strange astral plane? I mean, it's an astral plane. I mean, is it? Uh, just, I know they're not going to reference that, but I mean, is, is it described? I mean, for example, as contrasted to uh, what's the Ant-Man thing? Quantum, the quantum zone? The microverse or the yeah, the um, or the subatomic realm. Yeah, no, this is they the phrase they use is astral plane. Um, Cuz you don't normally get that with X-Men. I mean, for all the no, weirdness of the X-Men powers and the future stuff and the psychic stuff, you don't normally get the Doctor Strange multidimensional stuff. Right. Which is what makes it seems like this bad guy is the Shadow King. There's there's sort of an alternate like promo for next episode that aired <laughs> where one was, of them uses that oops. What if it ended up being Dormammu? <laughs> won't be um i mean the problem that x-men have is that outside of magneto and arguably phoenix none of the other x-men villains are really super memorable so in the movies and tv show in the comic books there's a thousand great strife mr sinister yeah um, that's true uh, mr sinister was pretty good in the cartoon Um, oh my god omega i mean there's so many good ones yeah but like, I mean, do you know who the Shadow King is? Apocalypse in the co- in the comics, amazing. Oh, Apocalypse! Po- yes, right. Apocalypse is awesome. Travesty of the movie. Yeah. I'm sorry, so, who, the Shadow King. I haven't heard of the Shadow. I've I came in anything that's sort of like before the mid '80s. I only know through like reference. I think this actually may have been a character that became more prominent after you kind of gave up reading the comics before you came back to them. Uh, I you mean when they all left for Image Comics and it got really stupid? <laughs> uh, yes. I, I believe Shadow King maybe came to prominence in the 90s, which would have been when, when exactly Ro- around the time that was happening. When Rob Leefield took over. <laughs> yeah, ruined the fucking thing. Yeah. He, uh, no, I'm wrong. Character was first introduced in 1979. Yeah. So, I, 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 I thought I'd heard of it. Okay, well, anyway. I'm glad Legion's happening. I'm glad you're liking it. I wish I liked it. The, the Logan thing is certainly cushioning the blow because I'm, I'm getting my my X-Men felt. No, I'm serious. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm, I support good television, you know? Like, I'm probably not going to get through Legion. I'm still taping everything. I, I'm going to try to get through Taboo. Um, okay. I mean, you've seen both. You're probably yes. going to say I'll have an easier time with Taboo. 
Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, just because it's not intentionally confusing. Yeah. Because the thing is, you know, I may dabble in shows like Into the Badlands for a little while, but those are just guilty pleasure watches. Exactly. The other ones take uh, take me a few a few attempts. It's not always going to be Orphan Black where I'm hooked two minutes into the show. Sometimes it takes right. me a little a little um, getting into it. Um, I would be interested. Um, so let's wrap on a couple really quick topics and then we'll close on CW. Um, okay. I would be interested for you to check out the Medici miniseries on Netflix at some point. Um, although I know you're not really I, into well, like I just I need the, the the I need to get through May when a lot of yeah. this stuff is going to end, and then the number of shows will diminish, sure. and then I will probably check out. Well, to be fair, uh, the th- they've already renewed it, but it's not coming out till the end of the year, so it might not even okay. make sense to watch before then. Um, and that's actually been like, for example, the only reason I'm watching Into the Badlands is because the new season's coming and six episodes. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll watch six episodes, and we'll. we'll, we'll I, I think we should at least talk about the premiere. We'll talk about the premiere of Iron Fist. We'll talk about the premiere of um, Badlands. Um, oh, next you, week. Did we? Yeah, next week. Do we skip the Americans this week? Uh, we haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. Well, we uh, could. We could. I mean, we don't need to talk about it. We could we could wait another week and then you could talk about the last couple episodes kind of thing. Sure, I we haven't talking about the expanse either because honestly I was confused as hell and I don't know if I have anything coherent to say about it other than it just felt choppy. It felt like an early season one episode. Yeah, um, I, I didn't quite understand what was going on a lot of the time. I did like that they were finally able to tie why this random botanist guy is important into the rest of the plot in the last how did he get 10 back, minutes or so how did he get back on Tycho though i don't understand he was on a ship his wife got airlocked was that was he was he it wasn't having... his wife it was his assistant uh, oh yeah basically the ship was obviously a, a um a storage ship piloted by belters who are mad at the inners and so they just air space lock they throw they space all of the inner people from inner planets but because this doctor grew up on ganymede station he's a beltaloda and so they decide to they let him live so then he winds up on Tycho station and ganymede and then, was where the mars thing went down with the weird alien creature yeah uh no that yes. was yes it was, was i looked it? it up there's both ganymede that's why i'm confused yeah, I, I cannot keep all these different places uh, to get. Uh, I think it's a mistake for them to do a little gunny and then no gunny and then a little gun. I think I know it's a little bit more traditional to have multiple plot lines going every single episode. But if you're trying to introduce this character and now she's going to be on Earth. You know, we just had this really emotional episode with Gunny last week and then we don't even hear from her this week. And now she's going to be on Earth giving testimony like I'm, I'm getting I, a little confused. I got to be honest. I think the narrative has been a little bit choppier since the in the post Eros episodes. Yeah. I, once that station crashes into Venus, everything after that has been a little looser. Not bad necessarily, but it's just the um, the real quick pace and real crisp storytelling of the early part of the season has broken apart a little bit in the wake of venus the the aero station story coming to a close for now i still think there's more to say about all of that um and and the amos storyline is completely incomprehensible and i don't blame the actor at all i I, like yeah tell us what this is about or just stop 
yeah, did he get the surgery to remove his conscience or not? I can't tell anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, Alex was playing it as well as he could. Um, right. al- almost got killed. Uh, yeah, this was this was a lot of tell not show. Well, well, not a huge fan. Um, that's okay. We we can we'll give them uh, we'll give them one week episode in season two and hope that you know again when you're trying to completely steer the show in a new direction mid season by starting a new book in the series, that's going to be tough. And I think we're yeah maybe they're experiencing some growing pains um, in that area. Uh, but I, I did really like the Gunny getting, you know, mind-fucked stuff or whatever was going on last week. And I thought that was heading somewhere else. But I think I'm going to lose that bet to you. I don't know where she's going to be, but it doesn't seem like she's going to be with the Belters. At least for now. Um, so, all right. So, man, this was a bizarre week of television. <laughs> all right, really quick topic, and then we'll complain some more. Um, so okay. I managed accidentally to get Matt into tabletop. So, uh, for the sake of time, I just will ask you what your favorite episode is so far and, um, uh, who your favorite sort of character or minor celebrity or whatever that you didn't know about, uh, has been, um, favorite episode probably has, I maybe would say is pandemic, um, Mm -hmm. Honestly, uh, for no real reason other than I know the game. It's mm-hmm. probably, of all these games, it's the one I know the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like the group playing that particular yes. one. Morgan Webb's a um, cutie. She's very, she's very smart and funny. Yeah, Morgan Webb. I, that was kind of a bit of nostalgia because I liked G4, the channel, a lot back in the Morgan Webb days. And then I kind of And then lost. Olivia Munn sidekicked her to the head. Well, <laughs> I mean, I like to live. I still like Olivia Munn, um, but yeah. and Brubaker is just a goofball. He's 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 a little wacky. I yeah. like him. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually like the Munchkin episode where they actually get Steve Jackson to come on and play the game. I thought that was pretty. I cool. actually it's one of the only ones I haven't watched is Munchkin because I just don't like the game. But yeah, I know yeah, who Steve I, Jackson is. Yeah, the games. I, I don't know. There's some games that are like a little bit too simple for me, and then there's a couple that are too complicated like i was watching Waterdeep, and i really got lost yeah. and i'm trying to follow lords of midgard and i can't quite figure out how the gameplay works well the problem Pandemic, is sorry the problem with champions with midgard and Waterdeep. they're basically the same game they're worker placement yes. games and they're not that interesting or fun unless you're playing them i happen to right. get into the Waterdeep episode because felicia day was just cracking the shit out of me and i happen to be reading patrick rothfuss the bearded fellow who's a fantasy author who's lin manuel's uh, okay. next project you know they're they're, oh, okay, they're yeah. doing the game of thrones treatment to it although it looks sounds like right. tv and movie property they're aiming for and lin manuel's the producer on it and reading his book it's excellent it's is adult this name of the wind or is this name of the else? wind yep name of the yeah. wind yep it's definitely like a grown-up fantasy but it's not in the same way of it's not like rape and pillage and backstab i mean there's some of that but that you know it's 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 more whimsical it's all from the the point of view of a storyteller anyways i like that group dynamic and worker placement games are actually good games to getting into more hardcore gaming 
That being said, man, I played a ton of worker placement games. I still don't know what's going on in Champions of Midgard, and this is my complaint for the new season of Tabletop, is they just move too quickly through these games. So you can't really follow what's going on. And that's why I like the, the, the slower, um, older seasons. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Any other, any other uh, crews or, or, oh, the uh, Forbidden Island's fun, because you got Scalzi. Yeah, got the Forbidden guy from, Island was awesome. Yeah, you got Bobak from NASA, who's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, totally. The yeah. Mars engineer guy. I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. But in the same way that I think like Waterdeep and Midgard might be kind of the same game, one thing I am starting to see is that a lot of these games are functionally identical to each other. Like Pandemic, Forbidden Island, and Forbidden Desert, which are, are all, all made by, by the same Matt guy. Leacock. Yep. Yeah, and they're all uh, – Pandemic is a fantastic game, and I'm going to guess yeah. the other two are quite fun too. But they're all – they're almost the exact same game. They're just for you different audiences. Forbidden right. Island is a super easy intro game. Forbidden right. Desert's a little bit more grown up uh, of a version of it. And then right. Pandemic's, you can play casually, but you know, Pandemic's specifically fun playing with people who have some experience playing games and you play on like a super hard level. And now yeah, they have Pandemic to be Legacy. The most robust. And Le- yeah. Legacy, which actually, yeah. like, as I understand it, the game changes. permanently changes with each game, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you get like new pieces and you're putting stickers on the board right. and you don't know what's coming. So yeah, yeah. No, but, but you're right. Of them, yeah. Everybody's got a role with a special ability. Every one of them is about finding four, collecting cards nope. so you can get one of four items you need. Every one of them has an event card deck that yeah. helps you mostly and occasionally fucks with you. And then there's the scene changing deck, which is yeah. where the disease spreads, where the sands blow, which islands drown whatever but that's uh, just that's just leacock the the he right. helped reboot the modern or boot the modern cooperative game genre but like dead of winter where you have trader mechanics and stuff there's a lot of cooperative and semi-cooperative games that are very very different but yeah i mean you know worker placement games are all gonna have some stuff in common um area right. control games are all gonna have, have stuff in common but i watch it for you know the people on the show and even if it's a game I don't like or don't think I like, I'll watch it if it's a cool group. And then some of these other games that seem really weird are actually the ones that are really original that you would never stumble across uh, normally. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. mean, this the show definitely makes me want to play a lot of these games, yeah. uh, which is probably what the whole point of the damn show is. Yeah. Um, my, my favorite character, uh, person who's appeared on it so far, I've probably was been, uh, iffy Wadi way on, oh, yeah. uh, fury of Dracula. <laughs> um, cause he just, he, he's this big young black guy and he occasionally breaks into kind of a old black guy voice. Oh, yeah. And at one point he says something like, gotta lean into it. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm hunting me a Draculus yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a Draculus or something like that. And I, I burst out laughing. Um, that, so uh, I love, you know, he, he's got some great one liners, but he's constantly drawing from the, uh, the encounter deck or whatever they call it, where you have a 50, 50 chance of getting a good card for yourself. Yeah, he's just fucking them over. Cause he keeps drawing Dracula, Dracula cards. cards. Pretty amusing. Um, and, and it turns to, fr- you know, it's, it goes by the week, you know, Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night gets to Friday. And it only happens at night is when it gets bad for them. And he keeps drawing at night. He's like, it's Friday night and I'm feeling right. And the party's here on the West side. <laughs> and you just, and then there's this whole like inner narrative of Amy Asuda playing yeah. Mina Harker about, it's just all jokes about how she's not over Dracula. And she's <laughs> trying to find new guys, but they don't work out because they're pussies and won't 
fight him. I mean, it's pretty well. It's a pretty well done bit of like little improvisational oh, yeah. comedy. And, um, well, but, and what's great is the whole time I'm going, Will Wheaton's being such a creep, and then she calls him out for acting like Kilgrave, and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how Kilgrave talked. Remember that time we did that thing? It was great. We loved it. Right. You know what I mean? Like that whole <laughs> Gaslighting thing. Gaslighting Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love when, you know, it's... The, I, think the, I love him, but I think I want to kill him. I want to kill him. She's great. That's the thing. The best games, it, it doesn't even matter what the games are. You want a good group of people and people who are going to role play it. You know, like when you get to Forbidden Desert, which is just a slightly more complicated version of Forbidden Island, but you got Alan Tudyk yeah. and John Heater acting like a bunch of... Yes, and they're really funny. Yeah. So, highly recommended. Glad you're enjoying it, man. Um, and... Uh, Although, I got to say, I, can yeah. I tell you what my biggest disappointment was sure. so far in this show? Yeah. Karen Gillan shows up for Libertalia. Uh, and Karen she, Gillan is Nebula and Amy Pond from Doctor Who. Yeah. And I like the Doctor Who fan in me was so disappointed that she didn't know what she was doing. Yeah. Clearly wasn't really a gamer and yeah. was not all that funny. I, I was deeply disappointed. And on some level, it confirmed my opinion that Amy Pond was not a good yeah moment in doctor who history that maybe her character was the sign of the show going yeah. downhill yeah so uh, my comments on that is one i felt the same way the first time i saw it and probably the second time i saw it i've seen most of these episodes a bunch of i'm times. not watching these more than once um, there's enough of them i well, won't I know have but i do this that, I, you know I'm, I'm trying to learn these games so i can teach people you right. know and if i'm gonna learn so it i'm not fair. gonna watch a bunch of <laughs> a boring nerds I'm, you know i'm gonna watch seth green you know in his right. hysterical wife be hilarious um she is, I think, a model slash actress, I think, maybe, instead of the other way around, perhaps. I don't know. Um, but I will say on rewatches, I think she's just really uncomfortable. Like, she wasn't yeah. sure what she was getting into. And actually, yes. as it goes along, she, um, Claire Grant is just try, trying to get her to laugh and kind of loosen up a little bit. And she yeah. kind of loosens up as it goes along as Claire Grant sort of, you know, kind of working her. Um, I would not recommend watching this particular episode, I'm about to say, because the game itself, although I like it, it's like just like a miniatures game. It's kind of boring. They do the X-Wing game that I play, uh, and it's uh, Will and uh, some Yeah, I saw that one. That one, I don't think. Don't watch it. it. But Seth Green does just amazing Star Wars impersonations. I mean, his Obi-Wan Kenobi is so funny. And he does this yep. whole bit about Obi-Wan being like a, pred- a child predator. Nice. Come, come to my place. You know, like your father's just okay. <laughs> play with my my light stick or whatever. Like I can't do it. Nice. But he's just he's so funny. You know, Seth Green is buddies with Lucas. He got yeah yeah he got married at Skywalker Ranch. So yeah, it's I don't know. I, I normally hate seeing celebrities, but it's like just the level of celebrity that's generally not annoying. And when you yeah, get this is Scum- the single dorkiest fucking thing I yeah. could possibly think of. And so that was why when I texted you that I started watching it, yeah. my phrasing was I've never wanted to admit. <laughs> something to someone less than this but i've started watching tabletop yeah i mean yeah when when you can spend you watch a few episodes and get john scalzi ed brubaker alan tudyk john heater felicia day all these people it's great it's great so i'm glad you saw it i hope you spread the love to other people um and uh i guess we'll I have to get a lot more comfortable with myself as a tabletop fan before <laughs> i think about telling anybody else that i like this oh i have, I have a tabletop albert yeah I, I i understand that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but i go to game nights and stuff like that anyways right. um moving on uh back to downers <laughs> 
to, to close yeah. out this this bizarre. Let's get away week. from something that, as reluctant as I am to admit it, I'm enjoying it to a bunch of things I didn't really enjoy. Uh, to be fair, though, it's been a horrible few days for Donald Trump, so that's at least a good thing. I whatever. Um, <laughs> um, hey, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm reaching that strength here, man. Um, so okay, we don't need to do the full CW treatment. Although you can do whatever yeah. you want, I'm just gonna say before you say it. I'm here for you, buddy, about Arrow, okay? I've been trying to gently let you know that this is okay, that you have my permission, and you should give yourself permission to stop this poisonous habit of forcing yourself to watch a show that was once pretty good and then okay and is now just terrible. That show is Arrow. I appreciate that permission. I I don't think it's enough to break the chain. You know, I'm just stuck in this cycle, and I'm going to make my kids watch arrow just so they can be as miserable as I am. And it's just going to keep contributing to these societal ills. Uh, But let's start with uh, something positive, which is I figured out how to solve the Wally West problem on the flash. The flash episode was actually what? No, uh, no reinvent is a different character and I'll explain who in a minute. The flash episode was actually pretty good. The flash goes into the speed force to save Wally the Speed Force seems to mostly be an interdimensional pep talk or self or like self motivation <laughs> section of a bookstore, um, but it was an opportunity to bring back three actors to play kind of Speed Force ghost versions of their characters, and we got Wentworth Wilt Miller as Captain Cold, mm. being full Captain Coldy. We got Robbie Amell as Ronnie Raymond of the original Firestorm, and we got back Rick Cosnett as uh, Eddie Thawne, and it was really nice to have the three of them back on the show for a little while. Um, in some ways it was a callback to when the, the, um, the cast was a little bit smaller and better. Uh, so it it was a good episode. It was kind of cool. And I liked the speed force stuff. Um, Hmm. Smaller cast being better. I'm noticing a trend on the CW. Right. My problem is that they saved Wally West when really I, Keenan Lonsdale, I'm sorry. I don't know if nobody's writing well for you or you're just not that good, but you're just not that good. Um, he just – he hasn't worked as Wally West. He hasn't worked as a kid's sidekick. And I think the problem is that he hasn't been peppy enough and funny enough, that he's just been another mopey dude on a CW universe chock full of mopey dudes. And you have said, why can't The Flash get back to some of its lighter, funnier stuff from the first two seasons, right? I have to say, man, ever since you said the other week about it looks like Grant Gustin's going to cry all the time. Yeah. The image of Grant Gustin in my mind's eye, in my brain, is of him about to cry. (laughs) That, like, totally clicked in me. Like, he, you know, where he's like barely opening his mouth and he doesn't know what to say and, uh, yeah he's just he, shaking his head yeah and then i turned on a few minutes of it I, he, it was just that i was like i thought this guy was a good actor and maybe he is but he does have a little one face going on right i uh Dude, i know. mean have you cooled on gustin we've never really talked about no that. i'm still a big fan of gustin okay. i think he's the best part of that show yep um, can i just say something I, about wally west yeah i'm just four words you ready okay bad actor no charisma yes probably that's a lot of it oh wait but oh, you wait, agree hold on with me that- hold on two more words nice guy 
<laughs> maybe he's an asshole. I've never read an interview with him or seen him outside of the show, so maybe he kicks puppies on the side. No, I, don't I know. know. I just whenever he, whenever he I doesn't, he's probably a decent human being. When, but, whenever uh, I crush Laurel, I, I always want to. I always say Katie Cassidy. I'm sure is a very nice girl. So I, I wanted to. Yeah, you know, if continue I crap on trend. somebody, I just crap yeah. on them. I'm not gonna like couch <laughs> it and try with some bullshit. Because I see you know compliment after Katie Cassidy. What'd you say? I see Curly want to hook up with Katie Cassidy. Whatever. I mean, sure. Um, although I, I she might be pretty Christian, I, so who knows? Anyway, not my type. You, you agree with? Uh, I probably agree. You agree with me though that the show could stand to get a lot lighter and funnier, right? Yeah. And maybe a little more upbeat, maybe oh, a little yeah. more daytime. Oh, and another correction. I'm making corrections way after the fact because I listened to the podcast numerous times. Right. I accidentally said a couple weeks ago I was trying to say the arrow that Arrow has gotten less dark as it's gone on, and I believe I said Flash has gotten less dark. Yeah, as it's gone I, on. I was confused when I re-listened to that. Yeah, like, you should stop me when I say something like that because you know what I mean. And I I just screwed it up, which is the Flash it has been getting darker and it doesn't work for me, and Arrow's getting less dark and it's not working for me. I mean, but Flash is yeah still much better than Arrow, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think Wally West's character symbolizes the wrong direction the show is going because he is haunted by his mom's death. He feels all these feelings of insecurity and weakness and, and like nobody likes him. All these dark emotions that would work well on Arrow if Arrow wasn't literally doing it every other goddamn scene. We'll get there. So I think what they should do is just get rid of Wally West and replace him with another perfectly viable kid sidekick from the Flash comics. And that Why character is he a sidekick? Is, He's so powerful. Why does he well, need a fucking sidekick? Uh, why does Arrow need a problem. sidekick? Why does Supergirl need a sidekick? Because he's called Kid Flash. And <sighs> it doesn't help that Grant Gustin is 20... What is he? 25, 26? Yeah. But he looks like 18. I mean, he's really got a young face and a slim body so he looks so much younger than he probably is mm-hmm. um so that doesn't help either you know this idea that keenan lonsdale's character is so much younger but then they're like the same height and they're the same frame and they look side by side and so he's calling himself kid flash and it doesn't work well to what me he, to me right. i'm sorry to me as a 35 year old he doesn't look 18 he looks 26 now if i no, were 18 i would think that he would he would look, yeah, I don't know. Sure, I, okay, you're right, um, but I know what you mean, though. Look, the the bottom line for me was I remember when Wally was introduced, and I was I, I was bummed about it because I didn't feel like that family needed any more dynamics. I felt like the three, like the two Wes and Barry, was so great. Why they and then the mom and the sob story with the mom dying. She didn't feel like the right. mom. I mean, oh my god, sorry. I. To be clear, Grant Gustin is 27, Keenan Lonsdale is 25, and it certainly seems like their characters are supposed to be eight years difference, maybe ten years different. Well, probably eight. Let's oh, say so Wally. Is, uh, let's say yeah. Barry Allen is 25, and Wally West is still in high school. So, so the one at thing most of, 18. Sorry. So the one thing about the Medici. There's two things about the Medici shows. Well, maybe three, because <clears throat> I don't think you All like right. the main character. So you might not end up watching the show. One, the main character is uh, Rob Stark, who I happen to like. Not everyone thinks is a good. Oh, guy. good. Yeah, I like that guy. Oh, okay, cool. I like Rob Stark. Two, Rob Stark's son in the show. In real life, is like two years younger than him, 
but okay. looks like five years younger than him. Like it really looks like a younger brother, not a son. Um, and then the third is Dustin Hoffman. While I love him, has a horrible fake Italian accent, but it's worth it just for Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> um, but yeah, age age stuff is really really hard to pull off. Like for example, in Supergirl, they appear closer in age in the show than they are in real life, right? And that works. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, actually age wise, I think they're about eight years apart, but, um, but you kind of buy that they are of the same approximate age as characters, but because Alex's job is so hard, it's kind of aged her physically. It's tired her out and made her hardened because that's what you have to do to be a a government black ops agent soldier, basically, um, which is a lot of what Alex does. Um, so to make the show lighter and better, what they should do is get rid of Wally West and replace him with Impulse or Bart Allen, a character who is in the comics. He was invented in the 90s. He is Barry Allen's grandson. Uh, he is from the future. He, Because he has a disease when he's young, he's basically raised in a virtual reality, so he has no attention span whatsoever. He thinks in the comics in pictures – and he just runs around being crazy and upbeat. He gets a little bit more mature later, but in his early editions, he is just this like fucking psycho kid running around in a really funny, fun way, especially if you were young when you were reading the comics like I was. So why don't we get a younger actor, a good one maybe, or at least a better one? He can still be an, an actor of color because – Obviously, they've already race-swapped the West, so there's no reason why Barry Allen's grandson couldn't be a person of color when obviously his wife is a person of color. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to replace a black character with a white character. And let's just get a more fun, happier, more optimistic, more upbeat, more hyper character to inject some life back into this show. I really think if the show went on long enough, we would have gotten Impulse anyway – I think if they're going to add more speedsters next year, which they probably will, he is the obvious choice. I think it would be good for the show to do it if they do the character right. And I think if they do that, they could maybe just do away with Wally West for good. They don't have to kill him. They just don't have to bring his character back. Maybe he goes to be the Flash on another Earth. Maybe he goes to be the Flash on another city, whatever. Um, I just know, you know, you're always talking about the thing you care about most in Supergirl and you like the most is the relationships. Yes. And I'm with you. My favorite thing in every show is relationships. So thought experiment, if Wally West wasn't a West, would we care about him as much? Or if Wally West was Wally West, but he wasn't a superhero, would he be necessary or even important to the show? Well, I actually think Wally West was stronger last season when he was just a kid, when he was just this new person being introduced into the West family dynamic where Joe discovers he has a teenage son he didn't know about and Iris discovers she has a brother she didn't know about. Um, And this kid comes in and he's got his own issues and he's got his own sense of abandonment and loss. And, you know, the mom walked out on... Uh, Joe and Iris basically and so he represents their feelings of abandonment as well all of that stuff was kind of was more interesting than him as just another whiny brat superhero um, I so if, I actually sorry 
if he wasn't a West, I don't think he'd be interesting at all. And if he went back to being a West without superpowers, I think he'd be more interesting. I wonder if there were, like, you know, the fact that Barry's in love with Iris and they kind of are brother and sister is a little weird. So let's give her a real brother to create a little bit of space create a little bit of distance it, you know it'd be it, funny to think if you had uh, adoptive kids you know a boy and a girl like eh, maybe we won't watch the flash <laughs> <laughs> right it's a little little creepy maybe. a little creepy a little weird not creepy it's just a little weird it's a little weird is that how sure. it is in the books it's certainly frowned upon yeah it's frowned upon is that how it is in the books uh in the comic book? no um i can't remember so Barry's mother being alive or dead has changed as the history has been retconned over and over again. I can't remember who he grows up with in the current version of the comics, which does have the reverse flash killing his mom and blaming his dad. Um, but it's not the Wests. Um, so I have a couple quick flash questions. Because mm-hmm. I just haven't watched in a while. Does Iris have anything to do these days other than... No. She's not even doing journalism stuff anymore. She's just got a relationship and they actually take a break at the end of this episode. And like their relationship doesn't make any sense anymore. No, it's never really made sense. Um, but more importantly, how are the, uh, nerd duo doing these days? Uh, Oh, killer, uh, killer frost and vibe. Oh, um, they're doing well. Um, Again, I wish they gave Danielle Panabaker a little bit more to do. She should and be playing the redhead in... She should be playing Widow. She looks like a younger uh, version of Widow in uh, Into the Badlands. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. That would be a cool role Plus for we her. have two red-headed characters in genre films, both named Widow. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> anyway, um, hmm. I think some of it is just the visual contrast of... This well, actress with yeah. uh, really what like alabaster skin, yeah. usually wearing like blacks, like spandex almost, and then this really bright red hair. Well, it works with the really vibrant color scheme yeah. of the Into the Badlands. Well, for well Natasha Black Widow, right? The, the right. Black Widow has a red hourglass, I believe, on the back of the Black Widow spider. I don't know if that's where it comes from. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, more hatred against redheads. What can I say? Meh. Everyone's out to get us. Um, our, ginger, I, our ginger revolution is coming. In uh, Resistance tabletop episode, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of jokes about ginger racism. Because there's three um, redheads there. Yeah. There so yeah. That, anyway, that's a fun so episode too. Yeah. The Flash episode was pretty good. I think the show could write itself by introducing, by taking back the role that Wally West has come to play and replacing it with something that would get the tone back to what the show was in its first season. And I think impulse would be a good pick character to get it done. Um, I just, I, I I don't, I don't want to put, get your hopes down, but it seems like it's trending downwards a little bit on that show. I think so. I, I would agree. Um, um, hopefully not as quickly as Arrow, which maybe we'll have as our, our main and final course here. Arrow's going to be one of those main courses where you're like you're starving and you eat so fast you don't realize a the food's bad and b how how much food you're eating <laughs> and you're just so unsatisfied that you're just full and feel disgusting afterwards. Just want to sleep. Actually, it off. I think Arrow <laughs> is for me is going to be more like uh, something really spicy that just 
you have to get all of it. It just pours through your system, upsets your stomach, and then you just shit it all out. I mean, and you just feel wrecked by the experience of it. I, I am, I, it is, I feel broken by this episode of Arrow like my digestive tract after eating really, really spicy food. Um, I've been trying to this, tell you, man. I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> I've been preaching I, to you. I'm not, you know, I love it I, in principle, but it's just been going downhill since season three. It, it seems I, inarguable. I, I, I can't argue. I, I do not have the strength or the hydration necessary to argue this top anymore. This, guys, this episode of Arrow was awful. It, it was the most lazy, cliched, contrived, pointless episode of Arrow of this season. I still not willing to sit, call this season the worst of the five. I still think it's better than four. No, it's but worse. this was a truly bad episode. This was just. Uh, you know, you know why it's worse. Here's why it's worse. Two reasons. One, season four had Damien Dark. Yes. Two, much better bad guy. Se- season four didn't have this stupid fucking team that makes me want to slap all of them. Also true. Um. Uh, so those are I, I still and the and I'm sorry I'm sorry well, I got one more thing the way one that more season thing. four didn't make sense but go ahead yeah one more thing because you're gonna probably say this anyways they're like oh let's bring the Al Ghuls in but instead of bringing in the awesome cool sexy fun interesting one that you know already we're gonna bring in one that you don't even care about and is a remake of Marianne Cotard from the Dark Knight movies uh, yeah and, and I mean this is a Talia Al Ghul is an interesting character and she's been played you know, in some interesting ways over the years, uh, the, she shows up in the cartoon from the nineties, which is still probably the best Batman thing we've ever had to be blunt. Mm -hmm. Um, cause, and she's really interesting when she shows up there's there's a really great episode where she and Batman, I think are attacked by count vertigo. And so the whole episode has this like shifting reality dr strangey kind of mod art style feel to it yep. it's really well done um and in a really kind of trippy way that you don't usually expose kids to mm-hmm. um but anyway uh just this episode is just sitting around arrow moping about how everything he does causes bad consequences and everything is terrible and all his friends are like no no it's fine you'll be fine you have to buck up and beat this guy where your blah 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 whatever no one cares i don't care he finally figures out who vigilante is he confronts him oh big surprise it's the da who you could tell from the first fucking episode of the season was the the, bad guy and if you didn't the audience may found it out last episode so at least they didn't string that mystery out anymore you can't tell me that you didn't know that he was the bad guy from from episode one i thought he was was vigilante because adrian chase is the vigilante in the comics i thought that was a good fake out um so that that actually helped my prediction ability by not knowing that fact yeah, exactly. I, that was an instance where I wouldn't call it trolling, but I think it was a clever choice by uh, the writers to not go with the most obvious answer. I believe that's um, called a juke. Yeah, um, or um, almost a red herring, except I'm pretty sure when we find out who Vigilante is, which may not be till next season, uh, it's going to be somebody God we know. Us. I still think it's the um, the black chief of police, just so because. What's the what's the show? What's the TV show with the hot wings that we were talking about with TJ Miller? First was on? We Feast. What's it called? First We Feast. All right, First We Feast. So a similar challenge, challenge would be to watch Iron Fist and each 
upcoming episode wings. of Arrow <laughs> while eating hot wings and see you know which happens first do you die eating the hot wings watching arrow or do you die eating the hot wings watching iron fist because it accelerates the pace of going crazy from the hot wings (laughs) i think i would take iron fist just because it won't feel formulaic at first even if it's bad Whereas I was watching Arrow, I was like calling out lines, camera shots, like zoom in on Felicity here. It's going to be low on the low yep. zoom, and it's, she's going to spin around. I mean, I could film the show. I honestly could. Yeah, I, feel I, I for her, I feel horrible for original team Arrow. And yeah, I, they I, really I, uh, have been marginal. I mean, Spartan has John Diggle has had nothing to do this season. I mean, really, all he's done is stand around and occasionally gets to shoot people. I. You could take 95% of the action scenes that Mr. Terrific is in and just give them to him, and they'd be much more compelling. I think they um, might not make another season. I know they announced it, but the ratings are not good. They're going to make it. I think the ratings are good enough. Um, so unless they absolutely tank, and I don't I get the sense that's be. happening, I think, I, uh, I think we'll get another season. But if they can't write the ship, season six is it. And six seasons is a good long run for a show. I mean... There's plenty of shit that goes off the air much sooner than that. Yeah, um, I just feel like if you look at season three of Arrow, you have right? Alver, Felicity, Dig, Thea, Malcolm Merlin, the League of Assassins. That's all you need. That's yep. it. That's that's all you need. Add one or two characters here and there. Like, what are you doing? You have literally driven Willa Holland off the show. Yeah, pretty much. God, I hope we see her in movies and stuff, or at least another cool TV show. She's so great to watch. I'm, I'm pretty sure she'll, she'll be cast in something else pretty soon. If she's off the show, I mean, somebody is going to die at the end of this season because be somebody right. always dies. And my hunch with Flash remains probably Joe West, um, unless it turns out he's Prometheus. Uh, <laughs> I'm not Prometheus, unless it turns out he's Savitar. <laughs> Because um, it, it's going to be somebody Barry knows. Oh, man, you it killed all... it. That was a funny joke, and you killed it. <laughs> I mean, it, actually, if it turned out he was Prometheus, that would be pretty funny. Um, and Vigilante. And Prometheus. Yeah. <laughs> and the Speed Force. And the Gorilla. Oh, that was a racist. Sorry, guys. That was accidental. I've come to buy the Leonard Nimoy trilogy. <laughs> I am not Spock. Okay, I am Spock. And I am also Scotty. I just I have this the, the psychic gorilla image in my head because you're always talking about it, and I I'm imagining Donkey Kong with psychic powers. That's that's what's in I, my that's brain. That's not inaccurate. <laughs> I, I mean, is there anything wrong with watching Donkey Kong with psychic powers? I mean, I think he even throws a barrel at somebody at some point. Um, there's no hammers being thrown at him. I think they mostly stab each other with spears. But you know, the, the cute little dinosaur guy in a little go kart driving around. oh man speaking of which dude the new nintendo switch is pretty dope i'm not i'm not a big video game guy but it's a pretty brilliant design yeah cool i am if you want to see something funny by the way speaking of mad max yeah somebody did a really fun here let's get some fun in this podcast let's do it all right yeah because really none of i know this was not a good week for tv Uh, i I liked i just want to recap i want to recap okay logan great into the badlands Okay. Entertaining, but Iron entertaining, fi- but yeah. not good. Iron Fist. Uh, Probably not. Expanse. Uh, Flash. Nope. Uh, tabletop. Woo! Arrow. Uh. <laughs> so let's yeah. do some more. Woo! 
yeah, I, uh, I hopefully guys will be more upbeat. You know, coming. Uh, I mean, even Americans and Legion on your end, you were like, eh. <laughs> Americans is always no. Americans was really good, but it's a really hard show to discuss with somebody who doesn't under- know it. Yeah. Midway, like this late in the in the plot. I mean, mm-hmm. the the way they're slowly training Paige, whether or not they realize it or not, to be a KGB agent is really interesting. Right. How they're maybe even unintentionally doing what the center orders them to do, which is to train her as a second generation American born KGB spy. Um, Well, that's the thing. Some of these shows, um, and then we really should wrap. Well, some of these shows, you know, might lend themselves to not talking about every week and then talking about a lot, like every couple weeks. I mean, I leave leave that up to you. You know, some just are slow burns and then boom, you know what I mean? Yeah, I so, mean, I, I agree. You know, we can come back as momentous yeah. things happen in like the American. Walking Dead's this, probably like that too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, there's only two episodes left of Walking Dead. By the time you guys are listening to this, I think there'll only be one. So when it's done, we will definitely be talking about what I hope is an absolute bloodbath of a final episode. Is that the final uh, final episode of the series? Of the season. Of the season. I, okay. It gets Walking Dead gets really great ratings, it so it's like gonna really million. have to suck for a while yeah. for AMC to think about pulling the plug on it. I, oh, I mean, that was the only thing I want to say about Into the Badlands. Then we'll, f- we'll end on some fun here, which which was it, it's interesting how many different tones you can get on AMC. Yes, and I haven't watched enough FX. I know FX is kind of stepping into the limelight here, but mm-hmm. you look at Breaking Bad, Mad Men. Into the Badlands, Walking Dead. I mean, Call and Catch Fire was a has a different tone to it. I mean, there's no similarities even between. I mean, even Better Call Saul, it feels different than Breaking Bad, even though it's a spinoff. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's it's pretty crazy. You uh, you would probably say the same thing about FX, though, right? Their their big main shows all, all feel pretty different. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there's not a whole lot of similarity between Fargo and The Strain, for instance. Right. Um, okay. They're both a little bit nihilistic, but uh, whatever. <laughs> um, all right, man. So I'll end this on some uh, some fun thoughts here. Okay. So if you want to see a funny mashup, somebody took – I don't know how exactly they did it, but it's basically a cross between Mad Max Fury Road and Mario Kart. Uh, and it's just like using color filters and stuff on the mad footage from Mad Max mm-hmm. with some like CGI. I, I find it on YouTube. Maybe I'll just email it to you when we're done talking. Yeah, I was gonna it's say really well done and really funny. What, what, what might be fun because each week you have like one or two cool videos, or like I talk about a video. What I can do is I'll post when I post the podcast, and then I repost it, and you repost it. But then on the Bizzlecast page, I can like post links to some of the cool stuff that we talk about. You know, so it's like there. Okay. So yeah. So I mean, basically, we can post this, but it's me. three years old at this point. Who cares? We're, we're gonna have a good time. <laughs> We're, right. we're wishing uh, Arrow was three years old. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Arrow. Low blow. You deserve it. Fair enough. I, we, we're certainly wishing back to when it was three years ago oh, or yes. two years ago. So, um, so hopefully next week we'll be more upbeat. Yes. Um, I, okay. I, so into the, let's look into the future a little bit, some other topics. Um, so are you down to do alien commentary with me? Because I'm... I, I've got it. I'm going to rewatch it. I'm going to force myself to do it. I'm doing a commentary for Alien. We still have a little bit of time, but um, I think that yeah, can be fun. Yeah, I'll commit to that, but not until – it's going to be right near when Alien Covenant comes out because I've yeah. got a marathon May first 23rd. weekend in May, and i got to 
I can't commit the time to doing this on top of the pot, the crossing streams and training. Well, so look, buddy, after I'll, that, I'm going to scale back and they'll be fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm doing all the editing. So all you got to do is give me two hours to watch the movie. So you tell me when to yeah. do it. And if you don't have the time, then you don't have the time. No worries. I'm just telling you, I'm doing it. Okay. Um, I mean, I, Alien is an amazing movie. So, yeah. And then sure. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, my commentary, thank you, Bizzlecast listeners, one of my most listened to commentaries, well, well, well over 300 listens. Um, and I'm still getting hits on it. I'm, so I'm going to repost it. But um, it might be fun to do a, a, a just a... You know, talk like uh, shooting the shit about Guardians a little bit before the new one. We could do a preview party before part two comes out. Yeah, maybe have a couple guests on for that. Um, Anything else, movie wise or 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 show wise, coming up that you're looking forward to? Then we'll sign out here. Um. Oh well, I mean, in April we got a a bunch of cool shit coming out. Uh, Most notably, uh, well, there's a couple of things that I'm really looking forward to. I Zombie, I really enjoyed, is coming Mm -hmm. back in April. Doctor Who new season, probably not going to be that good coming back in April. Mm-hmm. Fargo coming back in April. And then April 30th, American Gods. And oh, the yeah. last trailer, all I can say was, yep. dude, yep. it looked pretty cool. Yep. I, uh, I don't know exactly how I'm going to watch it yet, so mm-hmm. I'm going to have to figure all that out. But there is some good stuff coming out to Showtime in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll help you, buddy. And stars, I think. Uh, but yeah. I'll help you with that one. Cool, cool man well it is a bummer just to wrap a bow on this it's a bummer about iron fist but for me you marvel know, had to hit a stumbling block yeah. at some point and really they had not had a flop yet doctor strange wasn't a flop even iron man 2 and incredible hulk yeah. weren't really flops well, and, so and i think for me the bigger problem is the, the way the zeitgeist affects these things meaning mm-hmm. Iron Fist is probably going to be pretty bad. I doubt it's a 9% bad. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that. And I mean, Luke Cage was not a 94% good. I'm sorry, people. Neither was Daredevil. Game of no, Thrones isn't a 99% no, I, good. Yeah, you know. Game of Thrones is 99%? It's, it's way... Look, it's Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> score is like 100%. Um, I, yeah. Point being, you know, Doctor Strange wasn't a 90%, I don't think. No, um, eighty percent, maybe eighty-three. Yeah, and it's kind of left. You know, people, no one talks about. It. So I just, again, the way these movies are received, like Batman v Superman, was properly received as being poop. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it seems like it seems like people get it right more with bad movies than with good movies. But that's art, right? That's art, right? So, all right, man. Well, we'll definitely have more next week. I have a good feeling about Expanse picking up next week. This, 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 this felt like a gear up episode for Expanse. Now, how many Legion episodes are there left? Two more. Two more. So, I think we're going to get some some fireworks in the next yeah. couple. Oh, and uh, my last comment on yeah. Legion that I never got to make. Oh, yeah, go. Aubrey Plaza is guilty of theft on two levels in this episode. <laughs> she has stolen David's body, and she has stolen the show oh, yeah. because I, I, she just. There's this opening scene where she's kind of feeling all powerful and she dances. And I, I mean, she's the amazing. amount of different characterization she plays where she yeah. can be funny and sassy and ske- sexy and also really frightening. Like you can believe that she's really this gross, fat, bald, weird thing yeah. slobbering on David Holler's brain. Yeah. I, it's a really impressive acting performance you could not have picked a better person to be in a show this fucking weird yeah absolutely she's just, she's just 
killing it every week. Yeah, and, and this I'm, week I'm not gonna lie, I did kind of fast forward and just watch a few scenes here and there, and I watched some of the Aubrey Plaza stuff, and I was like, oh my god, she's so psycho. It's fantastic. Yep. I think, sure. Well, the thing is, she's she's really a film actress that's just got her start on TV and done a lot of TV. Who's also done movies, but I think we're gonna we'll see her in movies. She's fantastic. So, all right, man, good stuff. This was definitely our weirdest crossing streams ever, um, for sure. But uh, you know, and uh, I don't know about you, but we're covered in ice around here, and it's it's a real bummer. <laughs> we actually only got rain on the Cape, which was oh, n- very nice. good indeed. Good, good, um, good, Boston good. got hit pretty hard and Central Mass got dumped on. But we, this past snowstorm, an inch or two, and then all rain washed it all away. There's barely any snow on the ground right now. Okay. Well, good luck coming up with um, an AKA for Crossing Streams Part 10. <laughs> I've got, next week we're good. After oh, that, good. it's going to get a little weird. Okay. And wait, just isn't Into the Badlands this Sunday? Yes, Into the Badlands is this Sunday. It will be an episode... By the time our listeners are listening, the first episode will have already debuted. Okay, so we'll be we'll be reviewing that and Iron Fist at the beginning for sure. Regardless yeah. of effectively, how bad. we're going to be a week behind on Into the yeah. Badlands every week because it's a Sunday night oh, show. That's right. Same with Walking Dead. Yes. Same will be the case with some of these premium shows. So as we get into the summer, we yeah. may actually change. We will things up a little bit yeah, yeah, in terms yeah, of yeah, what yeah, days yeah. we come out we will because we'll orphan black and game of out. thrones will be yeah yeah, yeah yeah orphan black is a saturday night yeah. so yeah it's yeah. right now it's all shifted to the first three days of the week and then <laughs> yeah. come the spring and summer it's all going to be shifted towards the end of the week uh, and, and final final thought just to, to, so you, you and i can go to bed with a, with a happy thought so not surprisingly you know uh, um tatiana maslati won you know like every canadian related acting award <laughs> this yeah that was the season. least surprising That's award a, yeah. i'd ever i mean who the hell was she running against <laughs> <laughs> the least surprising award ever i'm like they just call it the tatiana maslany award i mean who's gonna be better so i'm excited to have tat back in our life yes all right business listeners thank you thank you matt very much um sorry if we're a little loopy tonight um but uh you know some people find that enjoyable so join us next week for episode 10 and we are out